1: is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Tonight, we are not on at 7 p.m. We are on at 10.30 p.m. after the islander game i hope all the islander fans are enjoying the early season of non-success i'm just kidding hopefully the islanders pick up the pace and and start playing as well as we believe they could i want the islanders to be a top team in the nhl this year i expect them to be competitive this year last year they had very bad luck not playing a home game for a whole month ubs arena was still getting built and, and was opening in the second month of the season so the islanders Traveled over 11,000 miles in the first month. Had no home games in the first 13 games of the season. And that affected the Islanders. And then the whole COVID situation where the Islanders lost nine players in two weeks. The Islanders lost, I think, 12 games in a row. And it definitely affected their season. But they had a good second half. They fought, but it wasn't good enough. They were cut short on making the playoffs last year. I expect the Islanders to be a wildcard team this year. I expect them to be competitive. I expect them to have one of the better defenses in the NHL, even with a new coach Lambert, who I think is going to be a very important thought on where this team is going to go now that Barry Trotz is no longer there. We will get into the Rangers and Islanders a little bit later in the show. We will be talking to creator of MLB Daily Dingers and Elite Sports, New York writer and editor, Matt Musico. If you haven't heard Matt on our show, well then you're not listening to us enough. I mean, Matt's been on our show about four times. Fantastic Met Ryder. If you want to follow a guy that knows his stuff, has the inside scoop with the New York Mets, then you have to follow Matt Musico. He loves coming on our show and he'll give you all the inside stuff that he knows on where the Mets could go in the offseason and where he- he believes the Mets should have been going into the playoffs this year. I'm sure he's not very happy where the Mets ended up and now playing golf. We will get into the Yankees as they are tied 1-1. Hopefully, the Yankees pull off a win and take this tie to 2-1. to one. After the rainout on Thursday, the Yankees got the early lead and the two-run home run by Giancarlo Stanton in the first inning. What happened later is they bumped into a really, really good pitcher in Bieber, who completely shut the Yankees' offense down. Aaron Judge getting booed. Four strikeouts. The only player that really hit in that game was Glaber Torres, who would have thought that the Yankees were going to get shut down after they had a two-run lead after the first inning. Mets lose in the wild card series against the Padres. The Padres right now up to one against the Dodgers. Where do we see the National League in the American League and where some of these teams could go going into, I think, the meat of the playoffs for baseball. The Phillies are up 2-1. to one. I was right about that, too. The Phillies are the Atlanta Braves last year. They made the moves that they needed to make at the trade deadline, and now you're seeing what this team is after they fired, yes, Joe G. All those Yankee fans that were crying about Joe Girardi. Joe Girardi is sitting on his couch right now collecting his money as Mr. Thompson, ex-Yankee guy, by the way, taking over for Philadelphia and taking this team all the way into the playoffs, winning the wild card game, and then going all the way to the divisional game. And now they're one win away from knocking out the World Series champion, the Atlanta Braves, everybody's favorite to come out of the National League going into the playoffs this year. So, ha, ha, ha! We will get into some NFL conversation. The Jets blowing out the Dolphins, 40-17. to What does that say about this Jets team? Are they for real? They have the Packers this week, the Giants, upsetting the Packers in London. What does that tell you about Dable? Is he the coach of the year? I believe he is. The Giants playing good football. Saquon Barkley becoming the old Saquon. Our three-for-all picks of the week, which I'm in the lead. Moneyline Mania with Chaz and the boys. Worldwide West will be joining us tonight. So why don't we get into some baseball? And if you're a Yankee fan right now, I listen to Boomer Esiason. I listen to Greg Giannotti and how... Confident they were about the Yankees possibly sweeping this Cleveland Guardian team after the game number one win, 4-1. to The Yankees missing a whole week worth of baseball. This lineup doesn't have what we believe that this lineup had going into the playoffs. Aaron Judge, on Friday afternoon, didn't strike out once or twice or three times, but four times and got booed off his own field. This is the home run champion. This is a guy five points away from winning a triple crown this year. Heart and soul of this Yankee team when they were in a drought in August. But this lineup has been absolutely putrid. Game number one, Rizzo hit that home run. Bader hit that home run to tie the game after Quan hit his first home run of the series. Rizzo hit that three-run home run that helped the Yankees pull away and game number one. If you look at both of these games, the Yankees are not averaging more than five hits a game. A lineup that has guys like Josh Donaldson, who's making $25 million a year, Giancarlo Stanton making $30 million a year. Half of these players have been one or two-time All-Stars, and they're averaging five hits a game against a Cleveland Guardian team. Yes, has very good pitching, has a very good ballpen. They have the best closure in baseball in the second half of the season, even better than Diaz. To tell me right now that the Yankees are not up in this series two games to none just tells me one thing. They better find a way to win this game tonight against Cleveland because if they don't, game number four on Sunday, Garrett Cole will be on the mound. And does any Yankee fan believe in Garrett Cole to win An important game in game number four. It's going to
2: be tough because... Tristan McKenzie's also been one of the best starting pitchers in the second half of the season. He goes in Game 3. Game 4, Savale or Plesak, who haven't been as good this year but good in the past, and then they might stretch it out with that bullpen. So the Yankees are going to have to find something against the starting pitching to rattle McKenzie. Otherwise, it's going to be very tough for them. And if the Yankees can't find that lineup depth that they had during the season, it's going to be very hard to do that. Santon has hit, but Judge hasn't. Rizzo's hit, but Donaldson hasn't. They have to find some kind of pattern of consistency. Otherwise, you're just going to have a case where Stanton and Rizzo, the two guys that are hitting, are going to get pitched around. Terry Francona is a great manager and they have a great pitching staff that's very smart. As far as their pitching, Garrett Cole pitched well in game one. Will he do it again? Garrett Cole had the most home runs given up this season. Most strikeouts,
1: but Mo- also most home
2: runs. Yeah. And a lot of his home runs in the second half of the season, have come late in the game. I compare it to playoff Clayton Kershaw. A lot of them are in the 6th and 7th innings. We see managers now try to pull them right away, but are you going to do that to a guy like Garrett Cole, who we know could stretch the
1: length? If you're a Yankee fan right now, you're not very excited about this bullpen. Even if the Yankees get out of this series, they're overly matched. If they have to play Houston or even Seattle, both teams have better bullpens than the Yankees. Yep. Tayon, after seeing the Yankees bring him in in the 10th inning and just absolutely choke in the 10th inning just tells me one thing about this team. There is no depth in this bullpen. Are you going to trust Jonathan Luizga to pitch two innings? They're trying to figure out if they have to go to extra innings. They bring in Tyone. What's next? Herman? There is nobody in that bullpen I trust. There's no Chapman. There's no Britton anymore. There's no King for the rest of the season. When they lost Michael King, everything started to collapse right in front of their eyes. This team has no depth in the bullpen, which was one of their strengths going into the season. In the first half of the season, they were the number one bullpen in all of baseball. Their rotation going into the second half was the number one ERA and number two whip in all of baseball. It fell in the second half of the season. And I'm not going to blame Nestor Cortez. Did he have one of his best games in game number two? No. But he still kept them down to only two runs. Had a very impressive play at the end of that fourth inning. So I'll field it. He was falling backwards and then threw the guy out. He didn't have one of those game-breaking games, but he kept the Yankees in it. The Yankees need to score runs. And you go up and down this lineup. of he had a hit in the sixth inning. Trevino, they took him out of the game because he hasn't been hitting. He's been one of the more impressive pickups by Brian Cashman. Fabulous. He was an all-star. I don't know what happened to him. Are they going to start Aaron Hicks in game number four if they're not going to get enough out of the outfield? I don't trust Aaron Hicks. He barely hit in the first half of the season. He started hitting in the second half. Oswaldo Cabrera, he's a young player. He looked really good in the second half of the season. He has made a tremendous... Amount of mistakes in the game. It's three and two in the eighth inning, and you have men on first and second with one out. Why are you swinging when you know the guy's going to throw you a fastball outside of the box? Why would you swing at that? You would have had bases loaded with one man out. You give the Yankees a better chance to get that run in, take that tie to three to two, and then the Yankees play a completely different. The Yankees need a lead going into the sixth and seventh inning. That's the only way they're going to beat Cleveland. Because if Cleveland brings their bullpen in and they have the lead, it's lights out, Bertha. I would be worried if the Yankees do not win game number three, going into game four with Garrett Cole on the mound, I would be absolutely scared. There's too much depth. When it comes to the rotation in the bullpen for Cleveland, for the Yankees to just go into Cleveland like they have 1-1 and expect to win this series, I'm really worried. And I was worried when the Yankees gave up that hit to Rosario in the fifth inning yesterday, mm-hmm. which really cost him the chance to win that game. And Rosario, by the way, there are a lot of names in that lineup from that New York Mets team.
2: Oh, and there's a lot of relievers, too, between the remaining teams in the American League. (laughs) Honestly,
1: who won that trade? Lindor was a a pretty good player this year. Cleveland got two starters in the middle of that lineup, two starters that could play defense in multiple positions, and one of them was an all-star this year. I know Lindor's a good player. He's a superstar player. But you just gave away two players that are under contract, on their rookie contract, played a big part of why Cleveland is here today going against the Yankees in a playoff game?
2: The answer to that question is probably too early to tell right now because Jimenez did play well this year. He was bad last year and then Rosario, outside of the second half last year when they were semi-contending and he fell off kind they're of. They're figuring things out. Rosario's played well, so will Cleveland keep him long-term is to be determined because their ownership's very cheap. Lindor, still how like his,
1: three or four years yeah, left. Yeah, how will his consistency be? Too early to tell who ended up winning the trade. Pretty even right now. It's even. What we have seen the growth of both these players and they're fairly very young. I listened to what Josh said last week, and I know Josh is upset. You won 101 games this year. Last year, 77, so you won almost 25 more games than you did last year. You saw growth in this team this year. Buck Showalter was a good manager for the Mets this year. Epler, is rebuilding this team from top to bottom. You're probably going to bring in a new president very, very soon that's going to help Epler out. Maybe Brian Cashman, doubt it, but maybe it is him. David Stearns, There's another name that we've been hearing from the Mets. If you're a Met fan, you have Pete Alonso to put a smile on your face. Lindor's going to win a gold glove this year. Brandon Nimmo could possibly win a gold glove this year. You're going to have to re-sign him. There are pieces, there are things to be happy about. Diaz was one of the top two relief pitchers in baseball. You're going to have to re-sign him. I believe they will. So there are bright things. And then here's the bad. They got eliminated because they couldn't win the division. Because they choked the last three weeks of the season when their schedule was easier than any team in the National League. People want to throw Buck Showalter under the bus and Epler. And that's why Steve Cohen came out after the season and said they're safe. How could you throw a manager and a GM out on the street for the season that the Mets had? This offseason is going to be a very important off season. It's not about going after free agents. It's about signing your own free agents. The Jacob DeGroms of the world, the Brandon Nimmos. Make sure you bring back the heart of this team. If you're a Met fan, I know you want Soto, you want Correa. Carlos Correa is available, and you can get him for nothing. I would bring him on this team. That's the power bat. You put him in the middle of the lineup with Pete Alonso. You're adding 30 more home runs. You're adding a guy that hits about 290. He doesn't stay healthy, but he's going to give you the offense that you need, and he's a great playoff hitter and a gold glove positional player. But bring back your old players. Bring back your own players. It was a great season for the Mets. Did they come up short? Yes. Max Scherzer wasn't 100% healthy. Jacob DeGrom wasn't 100% healthy. They were tired. By the way, this bullpen is horrible. Besides Diaz, they need to find some middle relief pitchers. Stop overpaying guys like May because you think that they're going to play better for you than the other teams that they played for for the last two years. It never works.
2: And for the love of God, get some lefties. They have two on the entire team. That did not bode well when you're facing a Padres team that knows how to hit righties very well. And mm-hmm. it wasn't even the Stars. It was the bottom of the lineup that knew how to hit the righties well. The Mets did pretty good on Soto and Machado. Not so well on Josh Bell, lefty. Trent Grisham, lefty. Maybe we should have gotten some lefties to try to knock those guys down and be able to reverse those splits. Nah, Billy Epler, they stay padded at the trade
1: deadline. Let's get Darren Ruff to save the day, who barely did anything. As far as the playoffs are concerned. concerned. Oh, man, this is fun. The MLB playoffs right now is nothing but exciting. Besides the Houston Astros series, which seems like the Astros are pulling away and they got lucky. In the ninth inning, when they were down by two runs, I thought Seattle was going to completely shut them down. And Seattle had the lead again in game number two. Going into the seventh inning and gave up another home run. Seattle had a chance to be up 2-0 instead of going being down 2-0. Houston looks like they're walking away in this series. Besides that series, you have the Yankees going into the game. Tied 1-1 with the Cleveland Guardians. The Philadelphia Phillies up 2-1 against everybody's champion pick to come out of the National League this year, the World Series champion, Atlanta Braves. And another big surprise in the National League, the San Diego Padres, after last night's win, going up against the Dodgers, are up 2-1 to one in that series, going into Game 4. We both noted the worries that we had with the Dodgers, and the Padres are taking it to them right now. Who would have thought that the Philadelphia Phillies and the Padres could be in the National League Championship. If the Yankees could get out of this series against the Guardians and play Houston, that's their World Series. Because if the Yankees could get out of that Astros series, they are absolutely heavy favorites against the Phillies and even the San Diego Padres. Yeah, and that's
2: the mental block they got to overcome because the Astros have just been the thorn of their side forever, too. If the Yankees could
1: finally do it against the Astros, yeah, that's a big monkey off. They don't have to play the Dodgers, and they don't have to play the Braves. Two really talented teams with great bullpens, great rotations, and great lineups. Now, I'm not saying the Philadelphia Phillies are bad because they wouldn't be there where they are if they weren't good. Their bullpen's do for one random crumble. (laughs) Yeah, but their bullpen is horrible. Their starting rotation has one good pitcher. And the Padres, they have a good rotation and a good bullpen. They're on and off, and their lineup is not that good besides two players. If the Yankees could get out of this Guardian series— And knock off Houston, which I believe is the World Series. If the Dodgers get eliminated and the Atlanta Braves get eliminated, the Yankees will have a chance to win a World Series. To win number 28, which they've been trying to do for the last 13 years. Trying to swim to shore, and they just can't get to the shore. It just seems like they get pulled out by the waves all the way out in the middle of the ocean. Four LCS losses, yeah. It's been... Texas, Detroit, and then twice to the Astros. It's been horrible. If you're a Yankee fan, you just... Hope that they can get out of this Cleveland Guardians series on top and collective and not tired so they can get ready for the Astros. Because even though Seattle is going to fight this all the way to the end, I think the Astros win that series. It's destined Yankees and Astros in the American League Championship. When we come back, we will be talking to MLB Daily Dingers, elite sports New York writer and editor Matt Musico here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This as the Weekend Croucher, I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, I'm very excited to have this guy on again. I'm sure he's so very excited right now to come on our show. And I'm sure he has a lot to talk about with his New York Mets. We are now talking to creator of MLB Daily Dingers. Elite Sports New York, writer and editor, Matt Musico, Matty Boy. What's up, boy?
3: That was a wonderful intro. Thank you so much. What's up, fellas?
1: I have been sticking up for the Mets, even when they lost against the Padres, because I feel bad for the organization because they had such a great season. It just so happens they're in a division where the Braves are just fantastic from top to bottom. They have the, one of the best farm systems in baseball. They have one of the best GMs in sports. Everything that they do is just perfectly straight line. And the New York Mets, I have to give them credit for a team that won 77 games last year to win 101 games this, the next year with some of the acquisitions they made. And Marte, it was a good get. Lindor actually had a good season finally. And some of their players started to spark. Pete Alonso, again, as a fantastic year. I think that the Mets' future is bright. I don't think it is bad as what Mets fans think, and they have a lot of work to do. I don't think they do. I think one move in the lineup, maybe some pitchers in the bullpen, and maybe you decide what you're doing with Bassett. Maybe you go after Rendon or somebody like that to shore up. That rotation and re-sign Jacob. I think the Mets are still in position to be a World Series contender.
3: Mets Twitter goes into a tizzy every time the Mets lose. It's been a dumpster fire for what was like 63 times this year. What was so weird about this team is that they were oddly consistent from April through August. And then when they had the easiest part of their schedule in September, they didn't play badly, but they just didn't play well enough. They slipped up a couple of times against teams they should have beat, and that's what it ultimately cost them. Between April and August, they lost three games in a row twice. And this is a team that didn't lose more than three games in a row all year, but then in September, they lost three in a row three different times. The last was a backbreaker with, with the Braves, so it's obviously a very bitter pill to swallow, especially because at the start of September, everyone's thinking they're going to get a bye from the wild card round. You'd think it'd be an easy trek into the NLCS. At that point, it looked like it was more of a shot that there was going to be an NLCS in New York than an ALCS in New York, but the way the Yankees had struggled through August. But things changed quickly, and that's baseball. It was really unfortunate and very sudden, which I think is why a lot of people want to jump off a cliff right now, but (laughs) this is also a familiar feeling, but it's a little bit different. The Wilpons would settle for this. Like, oh, we made it to the playoffs, we can be just mediocre now. Steve Cohen is probably going to be a little bit mad. He wants to spend some money, money's burning a hole in his pocket, and they're going to go do some stuff. And they have a lot of work to do because they got a lot of people coming off the books right now. A lot of free agents, a lot of impactful players, and mostly pitch staff
2: One of the big things that I had a problem with was the way they went through with the trade deadline. I thought the Mets needed a lot more when it came to depth, and especially with the pitching. The biggest thing I didn't like was not
3: going after a lot of lefties. They only had two lefties on the entire team. Do you think that was the biggest thing that hurt the Mets? For the most part, he did a really good job of keeping them as fresh as possible, squeezing as much production as he could out of the bullpen. I think the thing that ended up looming larger was not getting another bat, especially once Marte went down. Especially when you switch JD Davis and Darren Ruff, and Darren Ruff gets ten hits and JD Davis gets eight homers. At least in San Francisco, from what we've heard from Epler and reporters, people were asking the world of the Mets, and they didn't want to trade your top five prospects, which makes sense. They're trying to win right now and also build a sustainable perennial contender. They want to be the Dodgers. That's what Steve Cohen wants. Probably came back to bite them a little bit here. At the end of the day, they need to win one more game somewhere. Mm. Win one more game and they couldn't do it throughout the entire month of September. We are talking to
1: creator of MLB Daily Dingers and Elite Sports New York writer and editor Matt Musico, and I know Matt. Matt, as a Met writer, is probably sitting back and telling all the Met fans, relax, the season's over, but could be a better season next year. And they have pieces that they can build around. I think a lot of Met fans are going crazy all over social media, thinking that they should fire Buck Showalter. I read Steve Cohen speaks and said, Epler and Buck are safe. And I can't <laughs> believe that even came out or anybody had the thought to think that they weren't going to be safe after the season they had. But maybe next next year if they don't go further or they fall apart in the playoffs like they did this year, that might be different because Steve Mm -hmm. wants to win now. He said in the next five years he wants to see a World Series. If he thinks that Epler isn't the guy or Showalter isn't the guy, and Brian Cashman, he will become available at the end of the season. Now, he has already been told by the Yankees they're going to resign him. Hal said there's no way in hell they're going to lose him, but Mm -hmm. you never know when you have millions and millions of dollars flashing in front of your face if Brian Cashman says, you you know what? Is it really bad? I'm a Yankee fan. I don't want to see Brian Cashman go, but is it really bad I go over there to New York with the Mets? I'm working with my best friend in Epler, and I can help that team win. I become a god, just like Theo Epstein. What are your thoughts in the offseason reaching out to Brian Cashman? Maybe that's your acquisition. A guy that has won with the Yankees, or maybe you go after a big bat. Where do you see the Mets going in the offseason that could surprise
3: everybody? I don't think they're going to surprise a ton of people, especially from the executive standpoint. I was also very shocked that Cohen even had to come out and say that Buck (laughs) and Billy were safe, because it's like, well, duh, they just won 100 games. It's the fourth time it's happened in franchise history. Of course they're safe. And yeah, like the last two weeks really stung, and that leaves a really sour taste in everyone's mouth. But still, it's like from a rational standpoint, when the dust settles, you see all of the wonderful things that have happened, all the progress that's been made, all of the free agent and acquisitions hit which and usually in recent history for the Mets does not happen Marte and Escobar finally was able to you know bring it around in September and Canna was great and Bassett was great and X was great until the last couple starts they changed the culture within that clubhouse which is one of the things that Buck is really good at so of course he's going to stick around it's not a surprise from an executive standpoint I saw that they're also not going to be aggressively pursuing a president of baseball operations like they have in the last couple off seasons partially because they think they're waiting around for David Stearns to be free from the Brewers their golden goose that they've been holding on for just thinking about Brian Cashman and Queens just feels weird he's got the connection with Epler the Mets and the Yankees have a relationship yeah so crazier things have happened I guess with regards to like which direction they're gonna go I mean it really centers around what happens with Jake he wants a raise from 30 million dollars he said the other day he doesn't know what he's gonna do yet but we all know he's gonna opt out mm-hmm. even though he didn't have the best of finishes because there's somebody that's gonna pay him more than 30 million dollars a year that's gonna really tie up what's going to happen i just saw the mets are trying to re-sign edwin diaz before he even hits free agency so that's going to be like one big domino off their to-do list mm-hmm. if they sign jake okay let's say it's like another 40 45 million dollars for at least a couple of years let's say you know that's going to dictate what they do from there because they still have a lot of money on the books with players coming back and players who they're paying not to play robinson one dollar. It... bobby bonia yeah, and brett Saberhagen. let's <laughs> that's not forget right. him it's not going to put a damper on what they're going to do as much as it would in previous years but still like that's 20 million dollars that they could have used for something else so it's like i have a hard time thinking that the mets are actually going to make a legit run at someone like aaron judge if they lose out the they have all this extra money and they need that big bat especially if judge actually gets the free agency how was telling cashman that there's no way they're going to lose him don't you wish you come out and just say that about judge too mm-hmm. or just like actually sign him to the money that he deserves cashman said the other day he's getting a pot of gold are the yankees going to give it to him that's <laughs> going to be the key but i mean i don't think the mets are going to make a, a lot of like stunning moves they definitely need another bat lindor and pete are the Anchor of that offense, and then you could throw McNeil in there too. But Pete's the lone power hitter that they have. And the, the Mets were middle of the road with not necessarily slugging, but just hitting home runs. And we saw that bite them in the butt in the wild card series. You know, the Padres could hit homers and the Mets couldn't. Whether it's Judge or someone else, they need to bring somebody else in to pair with Pete. Because when Pete's not going well, then the Mets don't really score a lot of runs. They need that bat, whether it's through free agency or trying to get creative with some kind of trade, maybe get rid of James McCann, which would make everyone <laughs> happy. They have a lot of decisions to make, but it's mostly within the pitching staff. What's going to happen with Jake? Max is the only. Pitcher, veteran pitcher that they had in the rotation at the end of this this year that is guaranteed to come back. Everyone else has some kind of option. They'll probably pick up Carlos Carrasco's option to be like the fifth starter, 14 million or something like that, which would be reasonable for the type of production he can have, but they need to fill in that middle part. And David Peterson and Tyler McGill did a decent job in the opportunities that they were given, but they also haven't gone the full 162. This past year, the oldest team in baseball, they're built to win right now, so they need to make those moves. Even as people were saying, Buck and Epler, are they on the hot seat? People don't want Jacob Degrom back. Come on, guys! It's like two bad starts, and like even like in the starts that were bad, his last three regular season starts, two times he gave up three earned runs. It's like kind of normal. It's okay. He's actually <laughs> human. I'll um, take Jacob Degrom any day. There, Let I'm him sure come there over are the Yankees. People that will. I understand like the opportunity cost. He's in his mid thirties. You're giving him say like $40, 45 million dollars, and everyone thinks it's injury prone. Although just this past calendar ish year has been really the only time he's been injured. I can't see Jacob Degrom anywhere else. But he's kind of like like holding his cards close to his chest. So we don't really know exactly like what he's thinking outside of him saying that he thought it'd be cool to be a Met his entire career back in March but between March and October is a long time.
2: Speaking of injury, people on Mets Twitter, also my brother was saying this, and our fellow Mets fan at this network, Josh, thought Max Scherzer was pitching hurt in game one. Did you see any kind of signs of that? My biggest thing was he wasn't really sequencing well, using his slider too much, and the back-to-back fastballs in the same spot to Josh Bell on that home run. Do you think it's like a fatigue injury type factor, or is it something else you think with Max Scherzer why he struggled?
3: My thought, when he went back on the injury list end of August, early September, I was thinking, okay, like that's actually not the worst thing world. give him a little bit of rest before the playoffs because when he was with the Dodgers, he ran out of gas. It just seemed like it was more of an execution thing it didn't look like he was favoring anything although i'm not a pitching expert he said he was a full go people on the broadcast were talking about how like oh he's probably thinking about it a little bit max is a gamer being an elite pitcher especially in the playoffs it's hard and sometimes they come up short they're not perfect so and sometimes the game plan falls short and max has always been and jake is the same way too even when they're going well they're prone to giving up homers and sometimes it just comes in bunches you would hope that it would be just a bunch of solo home runs like the last couple times that jake went out on the mound but they wasn't this time for Max, and there were a couple of times when the offense could have gotten him back into the ball game, or just gotten the crowd back in the ball game within those first two innings of Game One. They just stranded a bunch of runners on base, and then it just completely got out of hand. Max didn't pitch well. The offense didn't help him either in the early innings to just get that momentum back. Either.
1: We are talking to creator of MLB Daily Dingers and Elite Sports New York writer and editor Matt Musick. A lot of Met fans sit here today. They're watching the Braves and Phillies play in... with Zach Wheeler pitching. Should have been a Met. Steve Cohen right now, being the richest owner in baseball, he likes to wave his money in the air because he can. Why a lot of these owners did not want him to take over for the Mets, this is a man that wants to win, and he's willing to open up his pockets to do so. When you look at this team, so many players are going to be off the books. Do you see them making a run after a guy like the superstar over there with the Angels, a guy that has been the face of baseball, he is making $400 million. Do you think Mr. Uh, Butterball over there could be a New York Met in the offseason?
3: Butterball. That is, is slender that is not welcome. I'm just kidding. At the same time, Trout is over 30. He's been hampered by injuries the last couple of years. I mean, he was able to overcome it this year and still hit 40 homers, which mm-hmm. is wonderful. Mm-hmm. The Angels are still in such... I can't even think of the right word for that organization right now. Are they still investigating being, selling? What Epler probably wants more is Otani. He has that relationship with him, too. But this that's a situation where... You're going to have to give Moreno's, up a lot more. But then also, Moreno hates Cohen. So, like, he'd never actually approve shipping atani over to new york even though uh, he has a relationship with epler so i don't necessarily see trout getting traded to the mets but Trout's got to get out of there before he becomes too old to be the elite player that he is he needs a fresh start somewhere else it's clearly not working in los angeles
1: if the yankees lose aaron judge to san francisco which possibly could happen but if aaron judge becomes a free agent he's from that san francisco bay area I wouldn't be surprised if he goes to San Francisco and plays for his hometown team because that's where his family lives. If the Yankees lose him, I've heard Otani, I've heard Mike Trout. Do the Yankees make a move like that? Yankee fans are going to be pissed. They lose Aaron Judge in the offseason. This is a guy that was five points away from winning a triple crown. One of the greatest seasons we've ever seen a player have offensively, even defensively. And decide, hey, you know what? Part ways with him. We can win without him. I don't think the Yankee fans are going to be very happy about that. Yankee fans are already bitching and moaning right now about the Yankees because they're not getting enough offense in the game one, and they won four to one. We were lucky. Garrett Cole stinks. He pitched seven innings with one earned run and eight strikeouts. I take that game any day from Garrett Cole from the home runs he's given up against all the crappy teams that he's lost against this year. So
3: do you think that could happen? If Judge actually walks, which I think the chances of that now are pretty low because at the end of the day they're the Yankees if they want to pay for someone they'll pay for it but they're going to have to if they let him go because I mean it would be a full-blown mutiny in the Bronx if they let him walk because Aaron Judge embodies everything that it is being a New York Yankee the top tier production being a team guy being a leader literally put this team on his back for the majority of this year was the offense for most of the second half the thought of them actually being like it's a little too much for us it's a little bit out of our price range or what we think you're worth Brandon Levine was trying to float the those kind of storylines all of a sudden those things started to go away as he got closer and closer to 60 and 61 i feel like jeff Bassan said maybe a week or two ago that he had some sources within the yankees organization that judge turned down their extension offer see if you can outplay it he did all right we're gonna pay him what he wants who knows what judge wants of course he's wearing all those sweatshirts and saying new york or nowhere so you feel like he wants to be in new york well, that doesn't he mean it. the yankees i've also thought of that it could
1: be the mets if he really wants to say you know what <laughs> f you to the yankees you know what i'll do I'll go over there on the other side of the Hudson and I'll go play with the Mets. I'll go win with the Mets and tell them to go kiss my ass. And I know yeah. Steve Cohen will open up his pockets and pay me. You
3: would think that Cashman has learned his lesson from the Derek Jeter free agency saga. Stuff got recounted during the Captain docuseries. This guy is like a pillar within Yankees history already. And especially just with his power. It's like there's only like a handful of dudes who have hit 50 plus homers in two years as a Yankee. Everyone else has played like 50 years ago at least. This kind of talent doesn't come around very Often, and he is like the legit leader of that club. They can't let him go. That would be even just like thinking about the Mets letting David Wright walk, even though yeah. it was a much different situation. It was not coming off a career year. And David Wright, Mets, Aaron Judge, Yankees, they got to do everything that they can. They may have to overpay because it seems like the Giants are motivated to do whatever yes. they want to do. So. I'm
1: hearing the Giants are willing to offer him eight to nine years, and I know the Yankees aren't going to give him that. But if the Yankees could give him $45, 48000000 a year for the next six years, I think they can close the deal. And Aaron might say, you know what, I'll take the six years with the Yankees. I'm getting $48 million a year. I'll go back to the Yankees then taking the eight or nine years and going and playing in San Francisco where they probably aren't going to win. They're a good team, and I think they'll be playoff bound if they have Aaron Judge. I just don't know if their farm system is not in the top ten anymore. They don't really have those top pitchers that we remember. Lincolnsome, Kane, they don't have those guys anymore so the 34 year old rebirth of Jake Peavy (laughs) we'll take Aaron Judge we'll rebuild around him Aaron Judge right now has a chance to win every year with the Yankees and the Yankees will make sure that they're going to be competitive and that's why Rizzo wanted to be there that's why Rizzo decided hey I don't want to be anywhere but the Yankees and I've heard stories that he wanted to go play for the Marlins because that's closer to his hometown why would you want to go and play for the Marlins Derek Jeter didn't want to stay there with the Marlins (laughs) he bought the team oh then he doesn't own the team then Michael Jordan has a piece of the team. Now he doesn't own a piece of the team. I don't know what's going on with that organization. Now Don Manley doesn't want to be there. He already said that he's not even retiring, so who knows? Maybe he's waiting for Aaron Boone to get fired. I don't think that's happening. Maybe he'll go manage so the much. White Sox. It's so much craziness. That just shows you how baseball can transition every single year. And that's why I think the Mets have been very impressive this year for any Met fan to sit back and say, this wasn't a great year. They have to completely rebuild. I, I listen to the Beef, and I love him. He's one of my friends, but he is a Met fan that went to Derek Jeter night wearing a Derek Jeter shirt at Yankee Stadium. Rooting for a Yankee captain. What are you, nuts? I wouldn't do that. I don't hate the Mets. I'll go to Met games. You will never see me wear a Mets jersey, a Mets hat, saying, let's go Mets! He's a Mets fan, and Errol's a Yankees fan. He probably likes Derek Jeter more than Errol. I have met Derek Jeter three times. I think Derek Jeter is an ass. I never liked him. I haven't even checked out his Captain series. I will check it out when I feel up to checking it out. I don't want to give him any opportunity to think, hey, Errol, you watched my captaincy. I don't think he cares about me or he even knows who I am. But I'm not a big fan of his. Never was. I was more of an Alex Rodriguez guy. I know a lot of people hate Alex, but when I met Alex, I thought Alex was pretty down-to-earth and cool. He answered my questions. We talked a little sports. We talked college football. We talked football. Derek Jeter is like, Who are you? Who do you work for? What does it matter who I work for? I could be working for your mother. I could be working for your mother's Yankee trader. If I'm asking you a question, just answer the damn question. Who cares? Because you're not getting paid for it. You won't answer the question. It's stupidity. That's why I don't like the guy. I've heard stories about him. I'm just not a fan of his. But is he one of the greatest shortstops? He is the greatest Yankee shortstop to ever play the game. Is he the greatest shortstop? Top five of all time? I think people are nuts saying that he is. He's not. He wasn't even the greatest shortstop on his team. Alex Rodriguez was. Stop, Yankee fans. You don't know what you're talking about. Let's go look at Alex Rodriguez's gold gloves when he was a shortstop for the Texas Rangers and the Seattle Mariners. And how many times did Derek Jeter win when Alex Rodriguez was playing shortstop? Zero. And when Alex Rodriguez moved to third base, then Derek Jeter started winning the gold glove. So, stop it, Yankee fans. I know you love him. Fine. Is he the greatest? You can kiss his ass. I'm not. We are talking to creator of MLB Daily Dinkers and Elite Sports New York writer and editor Matt Musical, a friend of the show. We're a fan of his writing and his stories and everything that he does for Mets baseball. I want the Mets to win. I would love to see another Subway series. Who wouldn't want to see that again? I know Mets fans don't want to see it because they're afraid that the Yankees are going to do what they did in 2000. I think if the Mets played the Yankees this year, I think it would have been a very good series. I think the Mets have the pitching. I think the Yankees have the lineup. It could go either way this rotation. Walker will probably be gone. Bassett could be gone. Jacob deGrom could very much be gone. Could bring back Carrasco. If they lose all those guys, there are a few really good pitchers that are going to be available in free agency. If you were the GM of the New York Mets, where do you go?
3: In free agency for pitching. Probably the first place I go is Carlos Rodon. He's taken a big leap forward. He's been mostly healthy the last couple of years. And I think one of the things the Mets have lacked in the rotation is a lefty. They've had Peterson this year more than last year, but still that was one of the few reasons why I liked Steven Matz because he was the only lefty in that rotation full of all the aces that never actually were aces (laughs) except for one. Gives them a different look, comes with a different approach, probably top of my list. He was someone that Mets fans really wanted last year.
2: Edwin Diaz, a very controversial contract because you don't want to pay closers but Edwin Diaz had one of the best years we've ever seen from a closer. So what do you think his money will be like, and do you think the Mets will be the team that pays him?
3: Yes, I do think the Mets will be the team that pays him. Like Sunday night in the aftermath of the loss, Diaz essentially said that he hoped the Mets came to him quickly because he wants to do what's best for his family, and there was clearly an interest there. And then there were reports coming from Mets Marais that the Mets don't even want him to reach the agency at the conclusion of the World Series. So I do think he's going to stick with the Mets, with the Mets' inconsistent bullpen over the last few years. Really, outside of 2019, Diaz has been one of their most valuable relief pitchers. This year was obvious, but even the last couple of years before that, he's been great since that terrible 2019. And he's got Narco. They want to keep the trumpets at City Field. That's an entertainment nah. value, too. He's going to challenge Chapman's record, which is, I think, like 586. He's probably going to get somewhere around four or five years, 18, 19 million dollars. He told the Mets the clock is ticking. <laughs> if they sign him now, they don't have to get into any kind of bidding war. That's who they want. And it seems like it's clearly it's who they want. Set the market themselves. They already have the relationship with Diaz. One of the things that Cohen did this year was he would just sporadically invite players back to his house for dinner and stuff to kind of like cultivate more relationship so there's probably a rapport there too everyone knows what he's worth he's younger than all these other closers have gotten these big money deals too so he's gonna get a lot of money if he doesn't pass that 86 million dollar mark he's gonna get close here's the pictures that are available this offseason trevor bauer <laughs>
4: no thank you. god no david price
1: <laughs> also god no chris sale justin Ooh. verlander carlos rodon noah Syndergaard, adam wainwright clayton kershaw nathan avaldi which could be a nice pickup for the mets zach ranke Carlos Carrasco, Aaron Nola, Sonny Gray, Luis Savarino, could be a guy that they might be interested in, Sean Mania, Kyle Gibson, Mike Miner, Chris Bassett, Andrew Heaney, Corey Kluber, Tyler Anderson, Jake Dorosie, Walker, Wade Miley, Jordan
3: Lyles. Slim Pickens there. I wouldn't mind Sonny Gray. I was one of the people who thought he'd be a good get in a trade with Eugenio Suarez when they were both on the Reds. I know it's a like whole New York thing, but I think that could be a little bit overblown. Well, City think, Field, yeah, it's a bigger field. I think his stuff would play a little bit better. Yeah. He knows a little bit more too. Tyler Anderson would be interesting. Justin this Verlander,
1: is, why not? <laughs> the Mets scouted Verlander
3: when he held a workout before he signed with the Astros Man, last year. There why was not? an
1: interest there.
3: But then again, it's kind of the same problem as bringing Jake back, although even more of a problem. He's gotta be in his 40s. Now, not, right?
1: Yeah, he'll be 40
3: next year, but yeah,
1: a better season than practically half these pitches
3: well, He had a fantastic season. He seems like he's got like a bionic arm. He just restarted his clock getting Thomas Johnson. He could play too, another so. three years. That sounds really tantalizing. I would love that. But then of course, you're pairing Max, a 39-year-old hurler, with a 40-year-old hurler. to be like your two horses and then we saw how that kind of worked out Mm. this year so i'm sure there would be people that would be gun shy about that but it would be a short-term engagement and this is a team that wants to win now and nathan Uh, avaldi is a good
1: pitcher he pitched in new york pitched very well with the yankees at tommy johns and then he went to the red sox big part of why the red sox big yankee killer yeah why they won the world (laughs) series that year so why not bring nathan avaldi and he's cheap he's making 17 this year he might make less because
3: this season he didn't play a full season so he could be a real big piece for their rotation Depends on what Jake wants to do. Yeah. And where that limit is for the Mets, if yeah. they have a limit. They, I would imagine that there would be.
2: If they don't end up getting DeGrom, because one thing that could be interesting, because we mentioned Rodon, Manaya both of them are lefties too. Manaya might not be a lot because he had a bad season this year. So the Mets might be able to get him cheap as a potential bounce back candidate to go along with Rodon and then maybe they try to keep some. Rodon's of the
1: best pitcher available. Yeah. He's 29 years old. He's going to make a lot of money. He's the best lefty available on this list. There are going to be teams gunning for him. If I were the Mets, if you could bring Jacob DeGrom and Ed Rodon, you don't need and another. You got three beasts, it wouldn't be fair. Well, fun. I
3: mean, look at the Dodgers. That's not fair. Dodgers
1: there. rebirth guys like crazy. The, the Dodgers <laughs> aren't winning the World Series this year. I think they're very talented from top to bottom. I think they're highly overrated. And they had Max Scherzer on the team last year, and they still couldn't get over the hump. So, what makes anybody think they're going to be even better this year? I like their lineup. Their lineup's pretty good, and Freeman had a fantastic year. Even if they get out of the National League, I don't think they beat anybody that comes out of the American League. I don't think they beat the Yankees. If they have a slug fest against the Yankees, the Yankees will beat. and I don't think they beat the Astros. So, unless Cleveland or the Seattle Mariners come out of the American League, I think whoever comes out of the American League, I still believe, are the favorites to win the whole thing, just because of the power that they have in their lineup. I think it's destined to Houston Yankees. And whatever happens in that series, which, there won't be any cheating this time. Or so uh, we think. I do believe the Astros have more depth in the bullpen with all the injuries the Yankees are dealing with right now. Better all this Chapman not showing up. (laughs) If Teon is the guy, because I heard... That's probably a better thing, though. They're thinking about moving tayon as a possibly closer type of stuff. He throws 100 miles power in the bullpen. Got good stuff. Maybe that transitions the Yankees. That's enough for the Yankees to get over the hump this year. It's scary, man. As a Yankee fan, I don't know what's going to happen. There's no guarantees they beat Cleveland because I think Cleveland's bullpen is sensational. And I thought after that home run by Quan, The Quan by revenge the way, tour. For all the Yankee fans that didn't like that move from Montgomery for Bader, how important was Bader last night? How important he was in the center field position? The home run that he hit that tied the game. For all the people that said Brian Cashman has weighed out his welcome with the Yankees, that was a move that Brian Cashman did. And by the way, where's Jordan Montgomery? Oh, I'm sorry. He's with Aroldis Chapman. He's with Aroldis Chapman, not playing anymore. (laughs) Those two are The Yankees are still in it. Bader could play a big part of where the Yankees go, especially against Houston when it's all about running and stealing bases against a team that loves to do that. Probably the best center fielder defensively in all of baseball. And plus, you move Aaron Judge to his proper position, you just make your outfield that much bad and the Yankees Their strength this year was their defense. That's just what every Yankee fan does. And I'm a Yankee fan, but I can't stand Yankee fans. They're a bunch of idiots. In the eighth inning, they were like, "Ah, they thought the game was over. It's 4-1. Did anybody watch Houston, the game before that? What they did in the ninth inning? Please give me a break. Yankee fans just need to sit back, relax, and hopefully enjoy the show. By the way, Garrett Cole put up a gem, and I give him all the credit. He's got to do that every time he's pitching because you're making all that money And you have done nothing to show. That was the first playoff win he's had. As a Yankee in two years, making all that money.
3: Outside of that wild card disaster last yeah. year, I mean, he's been good for the Yankees in the postseason. His four other starts, he's struck out at, at least eight dudes every single time. He just
1: doesn't win. That's not uh, uh, his he fault.
3: He gets them deep in the game, strikes uh, out a lot of dudes, doesn't give up a lot uh, of runs outside of that one start, which obviously looms large. He, he is the, the winner, run home run king this year. Game. He sure is. He <laughs> got both of them on that team.
2: Aaron Judge hit the most, Garrett Cole allowed the most. I had to complete it both ways to cancel it the out. Old, the old all averages.
1: Don't you love baseball? How it twists and turns every way you look the Yankees luckily survived the Steven Kwan revenge story had a chance to tie the game in the eighth inning, but just missed it. Well, Jonathan Lewisica with his big fat lips. My girlfriend was sitting there and listening to me. I was like, you fat-lipped idiots. I was screaming. (laughs) Every time he pitches, he looks like he's sitting in a high chair. He gets low to the ground when he's ready to throw a pitch. I'm like, what are you
3: doing? You should watch Sean Reed Foley pitch. Oh, God.
1: (laughs) It makes me sick to my stomach. She's laughing. She sees me yelling at the TV. She's like, who the hell is the fat-lipped pitcher? I was like, the guy on the mound. He's an idiot. He's sitting like, he's ducking down. He's looking at first base and it's like, dude, you better not throw the first base. I don't want them to score runs because you're an idiot. And every time he was throwing the ball, it was like inside, outside hitting. And then Holmes came up, and in his first batter, he hit the guy in the ninth inning. I was getting yeah. scared, man. I was getting really, really scared that something bad was going to happen in that game. Luckily, it all fell together. Maybe Sean Reed amazing. Foley
2: will be the next relief pitcher to either sign with the Mariners, Astros, or Red Sox to be mm-hmm. rebirthed as X-Mets. Yeah. <laughs> Particularly the Mariners. I want to throw up.
3: Paul Seawold of Crick's Do He fit right in. Baseball, man. Makes me sick. And we keep coming back for more anyways. Yeah, we do. I and mean, we'll be here tomorrow night watching the game. Oh,
1: 100%. Anyways, Matt, we really appreciate you joining us. As always, you're fantastic. If you guys haven't checked out Matt's stuff, well, then you're not a real Met fan. Check out Daily Dingers and Elite Sports New York. He is as good of a writer. Happy to have him on, as always, for the fourth time. And we're looking for five. Don't worry, bud. After the, the season deal's, is deal's over. drive for five? We'll try for more than that. Yeah, when I mean, well, Carlos Rodon becomes a Met after the Giants overpay for Aaron. Judge. <laughs> By the way, you never showed up. You never even reached out to me about my birthday. I'm very upset at you, man. I was on
3: the boat. Where were you? <laughs> <laughs> was well, disguise. if you on the boat,
1: I wasn't on the boat because
2: I, I saw you. He had a tactic where he ended up time driving. before he ever interviewed him, he was on the boat the whole it's time, true. just scouting
1: it out. What <laughs> else is that? Seems like it's my luck. I fight ex NFL players. Yeah, I'll come. And then I'm like, where the hell are you? You never showed up. Well, I kind of got caught up. My wife kept me home. Get the hell out of here. Your wife. Your wife. She could have came. Anyways, Matt, we really appreciate you joining us nah, i appreciate it that was a lot of fun as always yeah, absolutely and we'll have you on very very soon as always thank you for joining us we'll keep in touch definitely check out his stuff as good of stuff when it comes to writing and stories for the new york mets and the amazing stay clear of the attacks ladies and gentlemen thank you matt
3: thanks guys appreciate it
1: matt Musico, All you Met fans, if you haven't checked him out on Twitter or checked out his websites, the Elite Sports New York, his stories. Well, guys, you are not really Met fans. Check it out. He is one of the better writers for the New York Mets. He has a lot of inside scoop and information that's going on in the Mets organization. So definitely check it out. When we come back, the New York Jets are steaming green. Robert Sala is taking receipts as well as he should as his team for the first time in a very long time in their first five games are 3-2 and with a winning record. When we come back, we'll get into the New York Jets as Zach Wilson is second in the NFL in the quarterback rating. Must tell you something. Maybe he's figuring things out. So when we come back, we'll get into the New York Jets here on the Weekend Crunch. we oui. Our back, ladies and gentlemen, this is the Weekend Crunch. Remember Killers listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern time only on 103.9, the L.I. News or Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And if you're a New York Jet fan, you should be very excited. It's not because of the coaches, because I think Ubrick has been one of the more... Hated defensive coordinators in the NFL It's not because of Mike LaFleur Because this is savvy play calling It's not because of Robert Sala Him jumping on the sideline every time they tackle Or they make a good play There are three reasons why you should be very excited This rookie class With Gardner, Hall, Clemens Mitchell, Wilson Jermaine Johnson This is going to go down as one of the better Draft classes the Jets have ever had Number two Quentin Williams is playing his ass off for the last two weeks. Ever since the problem that he had on the sideline with his defensive line coach, he is taking his game to another level. That's the reason why Robert Sala took this job. He believed that Quinton Williams is a game changer. And now, finally, we're seeing what Quinton Williams could be if he continues on this path. And number three, Zach Wilson, who started the season on the injured reserve, having meniscus surgery, bruised knee, missed the first three weeks of the season, came back, didn't look good in the first half of the Pittsburgh Steelers game. Yes, the Pittsburgh Steelers aren't the same Pittsburgh Steelers team with TJ Watt and that dominant defense. But losing the lead like they did in the third quarter, coming back in the fourth and played a flawless fourth quarter, showed me something. And then at MetLife Stadium, yes, against a third-string quarterback, it wasn't Teddy Bridgewater who got hurt early in the game because of the Gardner tackle. It wasn't Tua who was on concussion protocol.
2: Or as the Dolphins like to call it, a back injury. Yes.
1: It was a third-string quarterback named Thompson. You still had to defend against Waddle. You still had to defend against Tyreek Hill. You still had to defend against that running game. You still had to play against that defense, one of the better defensive teams in the NFL. And you put up a 40 spot against a very good defense. But what they did was show what they can do when they play like a team. That was the first game that the defense, the offense, and the special teams Played in sync with each other. I don't care what Robert Sala says at the end of the game, how excited he is. It really doesn't mean anything to me because they did play against third-string quarterbacks. All three of their wins this year were against backup quarterbacks. What does that tell you? You play who's in front of you. But what I will say about this team is they have not played with any quitting in their mind. They have not quit. They played hard all the way through the fourth quarter, even when the game looks in doubt. That shows you the heart of this team. That shows you the heart of their coach. That shows you the heart of where these players believe they could be by the end of this season.
2: And it also shows that evolution of Zach Wilson, adversity against them. The Dolphins did a great job at shutting the primary receivers down in that game. Corey Davis, Garrett Wilson were both in the 30-yard range. And Zach Wilson adjusted well. That coaching staff adjusted well. But I think Zach Wilson created a lot more than w- even what the play calling was showing too. And that was something he didn't do for a while. That was He was always a first-read guy, sometimes force-fed Corey Davis at certain points. Second half of the season last year with Elijah Moore before he got hurt. I thought Zach Wilson had a very creative outlook to the way he played the quarterback position. Brees Hall, getting him involved with the receiving game, very key. You've seen Tyler Conklin, even though he's dropped some passes in recent weeks, finally getting utilized as that receiving tight end, which we were thinking he was going to be more of a blocker. I think Zach Wilson's play as a whole, beyond the numbers, has grown because of that. They attack the slot area very well. The Dolphins, even though Xavier Howard and Byron Jones both have been kind of down since their contracts, are still pretty good corners. They attack the slot areas and did a very good job with that. And the defense, even though the Miami's offensive line isn't great, they've Finally got a pass rush, which is something that the Jets fans have been itching for for a while.
1: And here's a name that I believe was the player of the game, and that was Brees Hall. Brees Hall is going to be a star in this league. I don't know why anybody let this guy fall to the second round. This guy was a first-round draft pick. I don't want to hear about running backs should not be drafted in the first round. If he's as explosive as this player is, he is worthy for a first-round draft pick. And I think he has a lot to prove, not just to the Jets, to the NFL for the teams that passed up on him. The Jets had to move up. They traded with the Giants to get him.
2: And the Giants
1: just drafted a receiver that's been hurt all year. Brees Hall, a lot of these experts, we interviewed one of them this past week in Hallman, a fantasy guru, a guy that really knows his stuff and really knows his rookie players because he follows the college rankings. Does five years in advance, mock drafts. He said that by the end of this season, Brees Hall will be a top five running back in the NFL. A rookie who wasn't even the starting guy. He wasn't the number one guy in the beginning of the season, in the first two games of the season. And if that is the case, and you have Gardner, who's a top 10 corner, and then you have a top five running back, and you have Garrett Wilson transitioning into a top 10 wide receiver, now you have something. You have a bunch of young players you can build on. Moving into next year, where I believe next year will be the year where this team is going to transition into an every year playoff type of team. Here's the thing with those two positions. Garrett Wilson, again,
2: he's got a lot of competition with the wide receivers and since moving up the rankings, but he looks like a top 10 route runner at the very least. We've seen a lot of running backs emerge right away, even if they don't get drafted early and have instant impact where think, people think of them as a top five right away. Look at Jonathan Taylor, his mm-hmm. rookie year. Look at Saquon Barkley, his rookie year. Zeke, his rookie year. All these guys that everyone was cementing based on the rookie season. So it's not crazy to think that Brees Hall can't be that type of guy if he continues to have this kind of volume. Got 18 carries, got the, all those receiving yards, got targeted a lot. That's a good chance for that to happen. And same thing with Sauce Gardner, too. A lot of these young corners that are drafted really early having instant impacts with their teams. And Sauce Gardner's gotten some good competition so far and it really
1: has won a lot of those battles. Quincy Williams coming back this week. Everybody thought it was an intensive injury that he had a couple of weeks ago. Coming back as fast as he has with the high ankle sprain. My friend Eric was telling me on the phone that his season is over, carted off the field, and usually when that happens, it, the season is over for those guys. But Quincy Williams is coming back this week. I think that's a huge get for the New York Jets. Going against the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau Field, your fastest linebacker coming back in a big game like that. It's going to absolutely help the defense, especially the front seven. And you look at a team that evolves around the middle of the field a lot with Aaron
2: Rodgers, the way he likes to throw the ball. If they decide to use Aaron Jones as a pass-catching back, too, where you're going to want those extra guys to be able to work in coverage. Now, Quincy Williams, I'm not going to say he's a world-class coverage linebacker. But it's still a body to have. He's fast. Uh, Robert Sala plays a lot of nickel, too. So, again, the snap count versus the actual role he's going to be using is going to be a different thing, too. But you still got C.J. Mosley. you still got Kawan Alexander. And the Packers' offensive has had some issues, too. So if the Jets maybe bring an extra guy to Blitz, too, they could drop Quincy Williams back. They gave him, him, him as the extra rusher, too. So definitely a piece that they could use as a game-planning perspective for Robert Sala.
1: I believe the Jets are the real deal. When you look at the big part of their schedule, especially in the beginning of the season, a lot of people would have thought that the Jets were going to be 0-5 or 0-4 yeah. going into week 5 or 6. It's been miraculous. They're 3-2. and two. They have a chance this week, possibly... If somehow Kansas City wins against Buffalo and the Jets win and Miami loses, the Jets would be the number one team in the AFC East. And who would have thought that? In week number six, incredible chase for the New York Jets. And this is one of the younger teams in the NFL. There's something to be excited about. You have all these young players, and most of them are under contract. Besides Quentin Williams, all those young players are under contract for a significant amount of time. You have a young quarterback that's developing right in front of your eyes. We saw this in Josh Allen, his second year. And Josh Allen, he broke out in his third year. We want to see growth this year with Zach Wilson. Make plays and not make mistakes. And then next year, we expect a breakout season, just like Josh Allen. 26 touchdowns, eight interceptions. He's amongst the league's best in quarterback rating and passing percentage. If he can do that, the Jets have a top 10 quarterback in the NFL, and you can win with a top 10 quarterback.
2: And one thing the Jets might not have to do, that Buffalo had to do to get Josh Allen that big boost in his third year, they may not have
1: to trade for a Stephon Diggs. They might have one on their team with Garrett Wilson in the future. Absolutely. They have some weapons. For the first time in a very long time, with Brees Hall and Michael Carter, Conklin and C.J. Osargo, Elijah Moore, they have a chance to be explosive. And I don't know if Mike LaFleur is the answer, but what I do know is Zach Wilson is growing. Garrett Wilson is for real. Brees Hall is for real. This team is for real. And they have some good young players they can build around for the future. So if you're a Jet fan, I am a Jet fan. I am very excited. Win or lose this week against the Green Bay Packers. It's been a very fun and a successful season so far going into week number six for the New York Jets. When we come back, we'll get into some Giants conversation as they knock off the Green Bay Packers. 27-22 as Dable is every Giant fan's fandom favorite. We'll get into our three-for-all picks of the week, and we'll go through some of the games that really stood out in week number five when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crouch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the L.I. News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WW, SRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I hope everybody enjoyed the Islander game tonight. Our show is starting a little bit later. As the Islanders play and move forward in their season, there will be some games on Saturdays. And if they are playing Saturday night, we will be going live after the Islander game at ten thirty, eleven o'clock. Whenever the press conferences are over, if you're an Islander fan, you should be excited that the season started. The Rangers are playing pretty good hockey. The Islanders, hopefully, will start picking up. And we'll be talking a lot of hockey as the season progressively moves forward. But we're still in football. So why don't we get into football? And Speedy, you're a big Giant fan. And I know going into this season, you did not believe the New York Giants in their first five games would be 4-1. You did not think they were going to be Tennessee. I know you didn't think they were going to be Green Bay. The one loss they had was against the Cowboys, and they had a chance to win that game in the fourth quarter. The Giants could very well be five and zero, and really one of the only five and zero teams in the NFL. It has been a miraculous season so far for Dable. I think he's the coach of the year. If the season were to end today, all the injuries they've had, they don't really have a lot of talent on that offensive line. Defense is on and off. Their secondary is horrible, and the quarterback's playing well, but he's no Aaron Rodgers. So there's nothing on this team besides Saquon Barkley that sparks a conversation. Why are they 4-1? and They
2: only have really two things that are considered anywhere close to maybe tops of their position, and that's Saquon Barkley and Andrew Thomas, talent-wise. I'll put Dexter Lawrence there, too. Everything else is really makeshifted, and Brian Dable's done a great job with his scheme and not giving up on his scheme despite all the injuries to make that kind of thing work. The Giants' red zone percentage last year was horrible, and this year one of the best in the league. I think they're number four overall because of the way Dable's scheme has worked. These aren't the biggest names scoring touchdowns. I like the tight
1: end that they brought in.
2: Yeah. Uh, Daniel Bellinger, yeah, fourth-round pick, who's played very well so yeah. far. Uh, they've made these makeshift tight ends work in the red zone to catch touchdowns. And these other receivers, David Sills, that was a good college player, actually was a FPS leader in touchdowns when he played at West Virginia, but very undersized to the NFL. They're making him work in the scene. Richie James, who was a good kick returner gadget player for the 49ers. These aren't the biggest names, but Brian Dables made them work in this kind of role, and the Giants have been a gritty team and a gritty offense because of that. Daniel Jones, he's done a much better job at not committing
1: turnovers. His turnover Rate each week has gone down, which is a good sign for him. He He's, did the same thing for Josh Allen. Yep. And I believe this is going to transition Daniel Jones' career. I believe Daniel Jones, if he continues doing what he is doing right now, they're going to give him his fifth-year extension. I believe Daniel Jones is going to prove to the Giant fans that he is the future to this organization.
2: And the volume might come with Daniel Jones once he gets some of those other receivers back. They might get Wandell Robinson back this week. He practiced each of the last two days. Saquon Barkley, he'll probably play, but again, he's still kind of hurt right now at the end of that fourth quarter against the Packers. So those are the guys that you would hope to help elevate Daniel Jones receiving weapons. I don't trust Kenny Galladay with even if he does play that's the only way Daniel Jones will ever get the volume to be anywhere close to what Josh Allen emerged into but want to see progression when it comes to him sensing pressure which he's done better at not turnover prone less than a, a turnover per game now finally in his career which is a good sign for him and it's per- improved each game his mobility Dable's getting the best out of that too rollout plays, and great in the fourth quarter, too. The Giants have been one of the better fourth-quarter teams in the league. The Giants beating the Titans the way they did, Panthers and Packers, all three of those wins were comebacks.
1: The most exciting thing, if you're a Giant fan, is what they did in the fourth quarter against a great quarterback in Aaron Rodgers yeah. where everybody thought going into the second half of that game they were down 20-10, to 10, and everybody thought Aaron Rodgers were going to get the ball and he was going to pull away in this game. They were going to win 37-20 to 20 or something like that, and it just didn't happen. They completely shut down Aaron Rodgers in that offense in the second half of the game. They outscored and outplayed Aaron Rodgers in the second half of that game. Yes, it was in London. It wasn't in Lambeau Field. We all know it doesn't matter. This is not the same Green Bay Packer team yeah. when they were last year with Devontae Adams. Especially it's not the defense. same thing. Their defense, and they have a lot of injuries on their defense. Their secondary is playing hurt, and, and that has definitely affected them, but... Nevertheless, I was just so impressed on the belief uh, what this team does, you know, when they are in trouble. You watched that fourth quarter. There were so many parts in that game that you you just thought Aaron Rodgers was going to get that touchdown and and pull away from them. I'm not a big Wink Martindale fan. A lot of people aren't because he's blitz savvy. He is the Rex Ryan of this era. He's Rob Ryan and Rex Ryan put together, but it works. They're putting pressure. Their defense is not amongst the best in in the league. They don't have that much talent. They don't have the talent the Jets have on the defensive line. But they use so many different blitz packages that make them look better than some of these Great defenses in the NFL.
2: And that was before even the youngsters came back, too. Jihad Ward and O'Shane Zimenez,
1: all these random pass rushers really got it going in that scheme. It's fun to watch. They're fast. Thibodeau looks like he's going to be a player. Mm -hmm. Every single game that he plays, he looks like he's getting faster and better. He had one of those big blocks at the end of the game that kept Aaron Rodgers out of the end zone which would have given them the lead and probably would have won them the game. They had two important blocks the last two plays of the game, which cost Aaron Rodgers coming back and winning that game. So I've just been so impressed with Dable. And even after the game, when they won that game, how excited he was. It was like he won a Super Bowl. That's something you want to see from a coach. I love what Robert Sala does, but Robert Sala, as much as I love him, He does it in a way where, I'm not saying it's an ego trip, but it doesn't show authenticity. When I watch Dable do it, and after the game, and even when he talks to the press, he's just authentic. It's just, there's something about him. And I am a Jet fan, okay? So I'm not trying to blow up Dable and throw my coach under the bus. I'm not saying I don't like Robert Sala. I just think there's something authentic about this guy and Dable. I, I think that the players believe in him. I think everybody's starting to believe in this guy. And I believe he's going to get this team on a winning straight edge. Mm-hmm. I think they're going to find a way to win. And maybe it's not going to be this year. They're not winning no Super Bowl this year. I will be very surprised if they squeak into the playoffs. In two or three years, when he stamps his name on this roster, this team is going to be completely different. And I believe... That this is the guy, this is the guy you want over the last couple of years. All those debacle of coaches you brought in. He is the closest thing in believing like you believed in Tom Coughlin. I I really like this guy. This is the guy I wanted the Jets to bring in. Before Robert Sala, they couldn't interview Dable because Dable was still in the playoffs and the Jets didn't want to wait for him. When Adam Gase got fired. I'm not saying I'm upset that they have Robert Sala. If you're a Jet fan right now, who would you rather right now? Dable or Robert Sala? I've watched the Giants play in all five of these games, and they have nothing. Dable's had a better season with what he's been working with, the talent that he has, than Robert Sala has with all the talent he has. It's actually fascinating you brought up the coaching getting
2: hired later. It's actually kind of an interesting trend. Now, I don't like the way that's set up anyway. I think all the coaches have to wait until after the playoffs anyway, but now he might be in the hot seat this year because they're struggling, but Frank Reich, when he first got hired, mm-hmm. remember the whole Josh McDaniels debacle, yep. and first year with a very, really, like the Giants this year, really bad team, got them into the playoffs. You look at Cleveland with Kevin Stefanski. He was the last coach hired, too. They made the playoffs in 2020. And now this year, you look at the t- Brian Dable and Minnesota's coach O'Connell. The last two were hired, and they're both off to starts with their teams. So what stood out to you in
1: week number five, Speedy?
2: I think the biggest one for me was the Cowboys and the Rams because this is the week I was thinking, okay, maybe the Cowboys come back down to earth and the Rams, an experienced team, a well-coached team, finally gets their way. Nope. The Dallas defense still had their will. They let Cooper Cup play. He did his thing, but stopped everybody else, and that pass rush was still lethal, and they look like the real deal now. And offensively, they were pretty well-rounded, too, and the Rams' offensive line, which Usually they've been able to make shift very well in previous years for pricing guys. That looks like a big concern right now. So while I think the Rams
1: will still be a playoff team, they're looking more like the 2020 Rams than the Super Bowl champs. I think it's San Francisco. Uh, knocking off Carolina, and listen, Carolina fired Rule, and and we all thought Rule was going to get fired. I was very surprised they did it as fast as they did early in the season. They're giving Wilkes an opportunity to coach this team, and maybe, hey, maybe he gets this team just on a winning streak. If, If he can find a way to get this team in a winning streak, maybe they decide to keep him and give him his shot, something Arizona didn't. San Francisco, this team is the real deal, and with Jimmy Garoppolo behind, I don't think Jimmy is... An elite quarterback. But Jimmy knows how to win. And Jimmy has played in a Super Bowl. He's played in an NFC title game. He knows what it takes to win. Has he won? No. But he knows what it takes to win. And I think that this team, with the talent that they have, and they have a lot of injuries right now, but when this running game starts to pick up and some of these running backs come back, this is going to be a very explosive team. Wonderful wide receiver. They have a wonderful tight end. Their defense is among the league's best, if not the best defense in football. I'm not a Kyle Shanahan fan, but I just think that this team is just so very good up and down that lineup. And I think they're the best team in the NFC right now. I really do. I say the Eagles are the best and they're the second best. And I think they're the most dangerous. If I were the Eagles right now, and a team I don't want to play in the playoffs, I do not want to play the San Francisco 49ers. I'll play the Rams. I'll play Tampa. I could beat all those teams. Oh, yeah. I think they'll beat Tampa easily. Tampa does not look good right now. I don't know if they could beat San Francisco with that pass rush. Their secondary is really good, too. They have a bunch of young players that have played very well this year in their secondary. Their best name in the NFL, Hufanga, at yeah. safety. It's crazy. I think that this San Francisco 49ers team is for real, and they could absolutely go all the way this year. And finally, maybe we win a Super Bowl and and Jimmy Garoppolo might get another extension. All right, Speedy, our three for all picks of the week. All right, so the first appearance of the
2: New York Giants in the three for all picks of the week. They are playing against the Baltimore Ravens traveling back from London. They are at home. The over under for this game is 45. So I am a Giants fan, but not optimistic with this matchup this week. I'm going to take the Ravens in this one. I think it'll be a lower-scoring game. I do think the Giants' defense, with the way the outside blitz packages work, will be able to contain Lamar Jackson rushing. I don't think he has one of those big MVP-caliber games we saw in the first four weeks of the season. I do think, though, that they can stretch the field in the slot areas. They've been still a little weak there. You saw them do that against the Jets. You saw them do that against the Bills in certain games in that one. And the Ravens' run defense, I think, will be very tough on the interior and against Saquon Barkley, who's not playing 100% as it is. So I think the Ravens do win this one. I'm going to take the Ravens on the under.
1: Yeah, I have the Baltimore Ravens in this game. Everything that I believe in Lamar Jackson, I think Lamar Jackson has a breakout game against this Giants defense because he knows Wink Martindale. He knows the way this defense is going to play and how they're going to play him. And John Harbaugh knows Wink Martindale as he's been on his coaching staff for a very long time. I like Baltimore on the under in this game. I think it'll be a low-scoring game. I think both defenses will show up. I think it'll become more of a running game uh, with Lamar Jackson and and J.K. Dobbins. But I, I believe one way or another that Mark Andrews and this Baltimore Ravens team will come out a winner. Give me the Ravens on the under. All right, shifting to the other NFC East matchup, the Dallas Cowboys at the
2: Philadelphia Eagles Sunday night football, the over-under 42 for this game. Uh, I'm going to take the Eagles. I'm going to take them actually semi-blowout in this one because of the way their defensive front is. I think they're secondary with Darius Slay. And Chauncey Gardner-Johnson will be a good job of doubling up C.D. Lamb. Michael Gallup looked good in spots last week, but again, I'm still trusting him to get back from injury against the rest of that secondary. could be very hard. Zeke's had his moments against the Eagles, but he's definitely not the same running back that he was either. And then Jalen Hurts against that Dallas defense, which is more of a base defense. It's a good matchup running-wise as well. So I like the Eagles in this one. I'll take him on the under.
1: I think this is going to be a really fun game. It's going to be a battle of a very good Two very good defenses. They're both very fun to watch, but I like the Eagles in this game. I think they're the better team. I think Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback. Well, I know he's the better quarterback. Cooper Rush, (laughs) Dak Prescott, I, I still think Jalen Hurts is the better quarterback. And I think they're the better team. I think A.J. Brown, Smith... I think they have the better running game. I I think they're going to be able to run against this Cowboys team. And the Cowboys, Micah Parsons is 100% healthy with the hamstring problems. Is he going to play if he's going to play all the snaps? I like the Eagles in this game on the under.
2: All right, last one, the game of the week. The Buffalo Bills at the Kansas City Chiefs. The over-under for this one, 54. Well, this one's going to be close. I think both these defenses have played a lot better than expected. Bills without Tredavious White, without Jordan Poyer this year, and Micah Hyde was out for the season now. And the Chiefs' defense with all the rookies that they have, a lot of good secondary pieces. George Karloff has played very well. So I don't think you're going to get that high-flying shootout in this, in this game, but it still will be close. I'm going to take the Chiefs. They're at home very close. I just think they're a little more of a complete offense, even without Tyree Kill there. Their running game is still more trustworthy than the Bills. So I think the Chiefs win a close one. I'll take them on the under.
1: I love the Buffalo Bills in this game. Absolutely love the Buffalo Bills on this game. I don't know how they're going to stop Josh Allen in the open field. They have no secondary help over there. The Honey Badgers now playing for the Saints. Their secondary is very, very weak. And, yes, the Buffalo Bills are going to be one-dimensional. They're not a running team. But I still think Josh Allen will be able to run in the open field. They'll be able to use him in, in a lot of trick plays. And I, I really think that the Buffalo Bills are just a very explosive team. And I don't know how Kansas City is going to stop them in the open field. I'm going to take Buffalo on the over in this game. That, ladies and gentlemen, is our three-for-all picks of the week. I like Buffalo in this game. Something about Josh Allen that just keeps ticking in his head. And I think the fact that Patrick Mahomes won that game in the playoffs last year, that pissed Josh Allen off, and Diggs off, and Gabe Davis. Gabe Davis had that four-touchdown game. This is going to be a high-flying game. I do believe... Kansas City will put up points, even against this defense, because I'm not sold with the secondary right now of the Buffalo Bills. I just think the Buffalo Bills are just so much better offensively. They have so much more talent than the Kansas City Chiefs. They don't have Tyreek Hill anymore, and Juju is not the guy. Nobody is. It's a new receiver every week. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to have Chaz and the boys on as we... Call that segment our handicapping segment, Moneyline Mania, here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine. And the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app, IOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Our show is aired right after the Islander games on Saturday, usually around 10, 10, 30 after the press conferences. But now we have Chaz and his boys on World Wide West and Mr. Chazimoto, And we call this segment Moneyline Mania.
4: This is Moneyline Mania! Witches and the crew!
1: Now Chaz and Wes, I'm sure you missed me last week. I was in Virginia. I had Josh filling in for me. I'm sure you guys absolutely enjoyed it. But how are you boys doing?
4: Been on with Josh before. Josh is uh, a lot more mellow than you are. I know, he's a little boring.
1: Josh was celebrating that he gave pleasantry in comparison to Errol. Seriously, he first tells us that he is not a homer, and then all of a sudden when the Mets lost, he wanted to jump off a bridge. The guy just needs to relax. And The Mets don't pay his bills. Why does he care so
4: much? We talked about that on Wake and Bake this week Mm. with Tommy. Perspective of the coaches. Coaches are making play calls Mm. on the football field and when they're accepting their Super Bowl trophies none of those do they think about you. No. They don't give a crap about you.
1: I'm a sports guy and I'm a radio show host so I have to love my team. Some people wouldn't even know that I root for some of the teams that I root for because usually when you hear me talk about them because they're so damn bad, I'm throwing them under the bus. A.K.A. the Jets. The New York Yankees, which they lost. Lost their tied 1 1 going into tonight's game, where if they lose, they'll be down 2 1, and I would say they're done. And then the Islanders, the Knicks, I want to tell all the fans that you guys, since you started 10 months doing Moneyline Mania with us, you guys are at 83.8% of your picks.
0: I'd love it if there was a way for the listeners to communicate with us. How much they've made. Listening to what we have to say and just doing the right thing with it. Even if it's somebody that's betting five bucks and ten bucks and they've somehow gotten themselves a tank of gas.
4: It has nothing to do with the money. It's about being right. I write about these games too, so I have to put it out in writing. When I write for the game and it comes out exactly like I said it, the fact that I won money too is irrelevant. Wes does his Discord on his recording. You give out seven plays and you're six and one. It's pretty cool. That's why you listen to this segment. You want to make money. They've always been very complimentary. How well we've done. Billy Elvis, who's been doing sports betting week with us for like seven years now he is in ohio and he's a program director at 93 7th fan because i do a three-teamer with them 93.1 i call it the 93 teamer one, but it's not working with the title so last week i swept the board and i gave him a three-teamer i gave him the same stuff we talked about here right because i remember telling josh about it. i had ohio state the over in the Cleveland Chargers game, the Bengals. So I had an underdog, a total, and a favorite. And they all won nothing. I didn't get a chirp off all week. And then this week I got, are you going to ready to do our call? I said, what if we didn't do the call? And I yelled at him online, on his show. If somebody does that for your audience, you say thank you. Good job. You do something. Right. So, Errol, thank you. We appreciate it.
1: Well, I love you guys. You guys are as good as it gets, especially when it comes to handicapping. And if people don't listen to this segment, and you rather listen to our friend. Yes, Eric Coleman in his (laughs) betting exchange. And Eric is a good friend of mine. He likes to say that he's always right. But boy, oh boy, anybody that takes James Harden over Allen Iverson, (laughs) he completely loses any thought of mind to make any bets on any of his Credibility. His credibility is absolutely in the garbage. You heard me, Eric. In the garbage. Anyways, here we go, boys.
4: What I do at night, I look for some late action, then I match it up with a pro game in a parlay. So I've got the straight bet, and i got the pro bet. And when I wake up, all i got to do is look at my balance. If my balance went up, then I know I'm also live on the parlay. If my balance stayed the same, then I'm dead on the parlay, too. And I was all over Green Bay in the first half, and it worked out well because after that, it went down quickly. We talked about it on Canadian Thanksgiving Day. Monday, we had the game that I gave out for you last week, Wes, on this show. The Tale of Two-Halves at... well.
0: I'm going NFL twice. The first one is probably not going to make me any friends. The second one probably going to raise some eyebrows because of some things I said earlier in the season. And because of how well Chaz knows me. I'm actually going out to Lambeau Field. I love what the Jets have been doing and they've covered some spreads for the last couple weeks. They've shown up in some spots. What I'm going to talk about there is looking at the Jets, they've allowed some points to teams that are not scoring a lot of points. They played against the Steelers and they allowed the Steelers to score 20 points. I do like the defense and I like what they're doing. They smoked a broken Miami. I mean, there there was a lot going on in Miami. That game made sense. I would really question the Jets as a team if they couldn't put a bow on Miami in that, that game. The Bengals are struggling from top to bottom. and they have every symptom of a Super Bowl hangover, they actually lost to the Bengals led by Jacoby Brissett. They let the Browns hang 30 points on them. So now we're going to go back to Green Bay. The Jets are traveling to Green Bay. Green Bay just lost to the Giants in a game that they shouldn't have lost. I think they lost the game the way they lost the game because they were coming off of an OT scenario with New England. They got taken to their limits in a game that they they weren't ready for. It. Green Bay right now statistically is averaging less than 20 points a game. That's not an Aaron Rodgers-led offense, and I don't see that lasting very long. Now, let's go to the financial side of things. The point spread is started at nine and a half the spread over 60 percent of the wagers a significant amount of money in there too has been on the jet side of things taking points so much so that it's now shifted to seven and a half i had to lay nine and a half on green bay but now it's shifted to seven and a half. Seven, probably by kickoff that doesn't feel like a bad number to lay on paper green bay should smoke them the only reason we're questioning it is because there's been some highs for the jets the last couple of weeks and some lows for green bay the last couple of weeks i'm laying seven or seven and a half and and I think Green Bay is going to show up. Rodgers is going to Rodgers. Rodgers is just silently eight touchdowns, three interceptions for 1,100 yards. Like That's a bad season. I love Green Bay in this spot. I'm laying the points.
4: The Jets have allowed, in 11 of 12, double digits in the first half. I'm also on Green Bay, but I am not playing them for the game. I will play them for the first half. I saw this stat last week, and it just kept gotten worse. In their last nine second halves, they are 1-8 against the spread. Now, part of that is exactly... was mentioned and the Packers get more points the Packers the Chiefs Tampa Bay New England when they're rocking and rolling they get more points a line that should be seven is ten a line that should be three is five and a half in the NFL those are a lot of points
1: with the secondary the Jets have in Gardner and DJ Reed I think they're two best corners right now in the NFL I think they're gonna have problems throwing the ball they're going to have to use the running backs Dylan and Jones In the backfield, maybe a lot of screen passes. This is the only way they're going to beat the Jets. Look at what the Giants did against the Green Bay Packers. Now, the Green Bay Packers, much more talented than the New York Giants. And they could not throw against this defense in the second half. The Giants' secondary is nowhere close to what the Jets are providing. I know you guys have Green Bay winning this game and the line on this. I think the Jets could win this game. I think it will come down to the fourth quarter. And the Jets have been the second-best team in the NFL, scoring points in the fourth quarter, coming back from 10- to 12-point deficits. I have the Jets winning this game outright. Shock people. This defense, this front seven, the last two weeks. I know they played against backup quarterbacks, young quarterbacks that haven't had a chance to really shine in the NFL, but you still played against a very good offense, you still played against a good defense, and you still put up the points that you did. So I think Brees Hall is for real. I think the wide receivers that the Jets have are real, and they're only getting better every single week. And Zach Wilson, second since he's come back when it comes to quarterback rating in all of the NFL. He's accurate, and he's not throwing the ball away, and that's a good sign for the New York Jets.
4: Bottom line is those two New York teams are 7-3, and and I have bashed them quite regularly in the last nine years of my sports betting weekly career. Congratulations to those fans that are enjoying two teams that have won in records.
0: I agree, Errol, with just about everything you said about the Jets. They can't win them all. I just simply don't like them in this spot. If they do beat Green Bay outright, everybody's wrong, Green Bay being the favorite. They got nothing but green grass in front of them. Mm -hmm. They got Buffalo twice. They go to Denver, which can be challenging just because of the travel. New England twice. They got the Bears. The Vikings could be a challenging game. They get Jacksonville, the Lions, and Seattle as their season finale. If they do beat Green Bay, there's an argument that there's only three guaranteed losses on that schedule. The rest of it could be just a dogfight. If the Jets have five wins going into their
1: bye week, there's a very good chance the Jets could win eight or nine games.
4: Does anybody remember what the Jets' win total was back in August? Five and a half. They got three. You're in really good shape if you I
1: told everybody they're going to win more than five games. I think that the Jets could absolutely win eight or nine games this year if they continue doing what they're doing. You stopped. Waddle and Tyreek Hill last week. I don't care who's playing quarterback. You stopped two dominant wide receivers. Who are they going to be able to throw to, even with Aaron Rodgers as your quarterback?
0: This one that I'm
4: calling is going to surprise Chaz very much. I already know what it is because the way you set it up. If we had a game where I had to hold the card up with the right answer, I think I'd have the right answer.
0: So I'm going Monday night. I historically do not touch primetime games. I think they're the easiest game to lose, and they're the easiest game to mess with your head. You lose the last game of the week, you rush into something good or bad. This is a pick that I have posted for my members. I really like Denver in this spot. You got a matchup right here against a top five pass defense and a top five pass offense. Something's gotta give there. I don't think that the Chargers get very much respect in that home stadium. So I don't really call that much of an advantage. Denver's defense is good. The Chargers are not rushing the ball very well, which even if they were, they're going up against a top 15 defense in Denver. Denver doesn't really have to score very many points in this game if they can hold the Chargers. The defense is just so bad. I've been very outspoken on this show how much of a joke I think that Denver head coach is. This scenario in a division opponent with this type of point spread in a very weak home field advantage, I think this is a great spot for Denver. It's a great spot for Russ. Denver's got some good running backs. They will keep Herbert off the field long enough to do some damage. Denver's got a good O-line. Chargers banged up on defense. This is just a spot. I think Denver's winning this game
4: outright. I've seen Denver play. They, I've seen who they played. That's a stretch. The only way they're winning that game is they have to do everything West says. They have to keep the ball away from the Chargers. They have to have a good run in the game. Yeah, that's a no play for me.
1: I have Denver winning it outright. Russell Wilson needs to prove himself and everybody's attacking him all over social media. They're not scoring. Look what they did on Thursday Night Football. They were embarrassed against an Indianapolis team defensively. They haven't played well this year. Ever since Eberflus went over there to Chicago, this defense hasn't been the same, and I think Frank Wright is on his way out after deciding to part ways with their quarterback, even though Ron Rivera is a complete moron over there throwing his quarterback under the bus after what he did playing with a hurt shoulder on Thursday Night Football. But nevertheless, I got Denver outright winning this game, and I think Russ finally has a good
0: game and shuts people up.
4: You don't see Blackhawk West or World Wide West spewing anything about Sunday night, Thursday night, or Monday night ever.
0: I like the spot. and There's some value. Value there too. I liked it at three the way it posted. It's four and a half now. It's a no brainer. And what you're saying about Russell Wilson and, and some of the things that are being said about him, he's one of the most mentally tough athletes, we've seen some of the things he did in his college career and he describes scenarios and he looks at the group and says why not us? He just takes this mentally tough attitude and they're not out of the division either. I'm not going to bang
4: that drum.
1: That division, what everybody thought was going to be the best division in football, has been one of the worst
0: divisions in football.
4: The Chiefs are the Chiefs.
1: I'm talking about the Chiefs. There were people (laughs) saying that every single one of those teams were going to win 9 or 10 games.
0: Yeah. Not only that division, the Russ move made sense, but the Herbert comparisons to Mahomes, there was a a lot of Mahomes bashing in the offseason yeah. very uncalled for Mahomes and Josh Allen is 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 Brady and, and Manning at this yeah. point but all the Mahomes bashing it doesn't make sense to me we're about two years away from having never seen somebody like him ever if he might drop that he's in the Hall of Fame but he
1: also has a star tight end getting four touchdowns in a game on Monday Night Football oh, no and, and
4: let's not downplay <laughs> how important having a good coach is the coach yes. doesn't always get the positive they get bashed just like you guys have already bashed three or four coaches I've heard tonight. Andy Reid's a big part of his success. I'm an Ohio State fan, and I am angry
0: that the Chicago Bears drafted Justin Fields because it almost guaranteed he was going nowhere with his NFL career. Poor guy. He's just getting beat up. God, I watched that organization destroy Jay Cutler and all the promise that came with him when they traded away their future. They have
1: another quarterback coming out of this year's draft who's going to be the number one pick
0: in Stroud. DJ all day. The
1: season that he's having, the only quarterback in NCAA history to have three games with six touchdowns or more. It's fantastic. The Buckeyes, they are known for their defense. They're really not known for their offense. Wide receivers, yes, over the years, but not putting up the numbers they're putting up right now. They're bashing everybody. And to me, even though they're ranked number two, they're the best team in the country.
0: Under Ryan Day, it's shifting to offense. Ryan is gone out and got a D coordinator because he knows that side of the ball is slipping. Defense yeah. was the difference in these last couple playoff games in the Natty against Bama. Under Urban Meyer, it was defense. Oh, absolutely. Edit. Urban wanted the quarterback that was going to be a battering ram and I mean,
4: Cardell Jones, it didn't matter <laughs> who they put in the game. That was so... <laughs> (laughs) Big. Remember how big he was? Yes. (laughs) Huge. (laughs) I told somebody, I feel bad for Vicky because I'll be rooting for Cleveland. Something will happen, then I'm rooting for New England in the same game, and she's totally confused. But the data says bet Cleveland in the first quarter and bet the Patriots in the second half. So I don't handicap that game. How many times, Wes, have you see me do the first half over, second half under? But It's so funny how the data is just a snapshot. Remember, the lines move. So, if I'm telling you that the line on Denver Colts game in the second half was minus one and a half for the Colts, yeah, that might be something you have, but you could have bet that game because I had a winner one of the games where the final line for the second half was one, but I got two and a half and it ended on two. But if you bet it late, you got one. When you bet in second halves before the game starts you're hopping on the line that benefits you and if you're given points you bet early if you think it's going to be over and they're betting the over you get it early and otherwise you wait 10 minutes doesn't seem much but if you've ever done what i've done hence the name second half jazz I sit and deal with second halves and watch the numbers change right in front of my eyes. Very similar West to live action,
0: you know? There's some roll of the dice there, but it's gambling. You wait and you watch those numbers move and SMU played Navy. The spread was 13. SMU went down by three. Then it immediately
4: changed. You can catch it at 10. Canadian football game. Team scores to cover the second half with a minute left and you think you're golden and they let the other team go the whole way down the field and score a touchdown. But it it is gambling. I've got a money line play play the way i do it is i go through the first read and i just make notes and i do that i come prepared because i appreciate the fact that money line mania is an important thing and we want to do it right then i go back and i decide where my money's going and some of the things that'll turn me off on my money will be what i call the pepto-bismol factor (laughs) if this happens how sick will I be Miami. I've got Miami on the money line. Yeah, I know they're playing some kid off the taxi squad. At home, all they do is cover, and they're getting points. So that becomes something where I see a team covers all the time, and they're getting points. I'm going to throw them on the money line. The beauty of money lines, you don't have to lay a lot of money to win a lot of money. Wes preaches that all the time. Find your spots, get more money than you're betting, and this way your win percentage, when you're betting plus 135s, you don't have to hit 83% to win money 30%
0: return how's your 401k feel 30% loss is that what that is up to we're dudes we're guilty of it we've all sat around and said well if you did this you'd end up with that so I decided to just put my money where my mouth was and I decided that I'm going to set up an account one with my own units that I'm following but I have another one that I did just to report back to the group and I put 20 bucks in it it is every money line underdog Outright, blindly. I'm just betting a dollar twenty-five because that makes it a twenty-dollar investment for the week. Last week, when Pittsburgh was a fourteen-point underdog, yes. I, I had Pittsburgh money line. The Rams are playing, I believe, Carolina, and it's a ten-point. I got Carolina. If Carolina wins, that dollar twenty-five is going to return five dollars and sixty cents. We started off with 20 bucks. All of the action is laid for the week. Technically, Thursday night, Washington was a favorite, sitting at $14.25 with all of the wagers laid for this week. In theory, you just got to cash two of them. Last week, at the end of the week, it was at $32. So a little bit over 53% return on investment since the beginning of the season. The system I wanted to exercise because you hear people say that if you just did this all season long, well, we're going to try this and see what it does. Well, there's three things I could say to you, Wes,
1: right now. Do not bet on baseball, because what's going on right now in the playoffs is just shocking. Philadelphia is up 2-1. to The Yankees are tied 1-1. Dodgers are looking to be eliminated. 2-1 to Padres. The only guarantee right now, Houston up 2-0 against Seattle because of a lucky game number one comeback.
0: Your hockey's back. Hockey, it takes a little bit of time. They really don't play starters with any type of passion mm-hmm. during the preseason, and the intensity doesn't pick up. For me as a fan, it doesn't pick up until about NFL playoffs, 15, 20 games in, and it's hard to see. And the third
1: thing is basketball starts this coming week, even though Ben Simmons has a lot to say. You want to talk about crazy and stupid. Ben Simmons checks off
0: all the points. They need to start playing again because there's a lot of that going on around (laughs) the NBA. If they could just throw the ball through the hoop, pass it to one another, good team building.
1: Well, don't tell that to Draymond Green because he doesn't know anything about team Play.
0: Hey, Jordan Poole went to Michigan. He deserved to be punched.
4: <laughs> oh. One last thing here is the Buffalo Kansas City game. Best game I'm of the betting week. this game.
0: I think this is a
1: blowout by Buffalo. After what happened in the playoffs last year, I think Josh Allen, digs. They got a chip on their shoulders. I think they're going to go out and they're going to put up points. I think Mahomes will keep them in the game early in the game, but I think Buffalo will pull away at the end of the third quarter going into the fourth. I think Buffalo can win by double digits in this game, 10 or maybe even 14 points. I really think Buffalo is going to try to make a statement on what happened in the playoffs last year. So I have Buffalo winning 34-17. I think they're going to shock everybody. I don't know how many weapons Kansas City has. They have Travis Kelsey. Hardman has not proven anything to me. I know how great Patrick Mahomes is. And yeah, the Chiefs defense has played well. Who have they beaten? What team have they beaten that's just high-flying, great offense now they're playing buffalo this is a high flying top end offense let's see what they could do against a top end
0: offense i'm gonna say buffalo wins double digits this game i think buffalo is gonna win the chiefs pass rush is really good the chiefs can get after the quarterback mm-hmm. the rookie is good what's performing on the Chiefs' defense is not what's gonna stop buffalo the chiefs are not allowing rushing yards you could torture deep so buffalo's really only gonna need to stop mahomes a couple times now, on the weapon side of things, Juju is not catching the ball. <laughs> Something needs to happen to make Juju WR2 or 3. MVS, he has got some speed and he's got some hands. The Chiefs don't need to have three deep worth of wide receivers when you have Kelsey. That's just a different dimension. You're gonna put a corner on Kelsey if you wanna stop him, but there's no corner that has the size or strength to stop him. Mm -hmm. All of their receivers are speed. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire is typically good for 20 plus in the passing game. The Chiefs, yeah, they don't have these Pro Bowl receivers, but they don't need them. Mahomes is dishing out the ball, you know, anywhere from eight to 11 different receivers per game. But the Chiefs are going to get torched deep. I don't know how they're going to stop the pass. Their secondary is not good enough to stop the pass, and Josh Allen is way too mobile for them to keep bringing him to the ground. I think they'll sack him three or four times in this game, but I don't know that that stops him. They're going to have to get him to fumble the ball. I think that this could be another game where the refs protect both quarterbacks. the NFL loses Mahomes or the NFL loses Josh Allen, they're not going to take that risk either. We could see some
1: garbage too. All the other teams that you mentioned, they're all one-dimensional, and that's why they're talking about Christian McCaffrey, Buffalo's one-dimensional, but they still have Josh Allen that can run the ball. He's been the best quarterback besides Lamar Jackson to get extra running plays in the open field. I believe that they're going to use his legs in this game. He's going to make throws on the run. They're going to shut down defensively the Kansas City Chiefs where they're not going to score and be able to keep up with the offense of the Buffalo Bills.
4: In the second half in their last 10 games, Buffalo is 9-1 against the spread. In the second half in their last 9 games, Kansas City has had 7 of those 9 go over.
1: That game and the Cowboys Eagles game that stand out. and I'm very intrigued. Dak Prescott, I believe it will be a game time this where everybody keeps saying Dak's not playing in this game. You watch on Sunday morning. You're going to hear that Dak is on the field. He's throwing the ball. And don't be surprised that they say it's a game time decision. You see Dak Prescott playing that game. It is. I believe it- it's going to happen.
4: The
0: story on Monday is going to be so Dallas Cowboys. I could see Cooper Rush winning this game. Philly can't win them all. And Philly's got all of these good things going on. And you can't say enough great things about Jalen Hurts and his character. And Mm -hmm. he's won everywhere. And he wins locker rooms and his legs and all of that stuff. And everybody forgets that Jalen Hurts was going to win the Heisman before he had a bad half of football and Tua came in and won the net. But it would be so Dallas for Cooper Rush to come carve them up. Just manage the game, make a couple big throws in the right spot and now they got a quarterback controversy which is how Dak ended up with his job when Romo got injured. I want to go pop popcorn. Dallas is playing better ball than they were with Dak. Micah Parsons is not 100%
1: healthy. He has a grind problem. If you want to protect your best player and the reason why your defense is as explosive as it's been all season long and one of the better defenses in the NFL, you want to make sure that your best player is 100% healthy in the big games. I do not play Micah Parsons in this game if I were the Dallas Cowboys
0: I don't want to put them in harm's way. Let's go back to you know what you had said about the Chiefs and their defense yeah. and who they played. I'm just going to take that same philosophy and apply that mentality to the Eagles mm-hmm. and the points they've scored and who they've played. They only scored 20 against Arizona. Not really blowing my skirt up with defense there. Jacksonville, Commanders, Minnesota, and you go Detroit. And Detroit is historically bad on defense. Right. So the Eagles have not exactly hung these points on great teams. Even without Parsons, this Eagles team, they're just due for the come down. And I don't do NFC East teams. You're going to be in Philadelphia. The crowds are going to be crazy.
1: They hate the Cowboys. I expect it to be loud. I think it's going to be hard for Cooper Rush if he plays in this game. If Dak plays in this game... I think he has the ability to try to win this game. The reason why I think Dak could play in this game is because if Micah Parsons can't play, they're going to need to edge them somehow, and they need that offensive stability, and I think he can give it to them. Dak is better than Cooper Rush.
0: Cooper Rush's numbers have been horrible, bud. If we were to delete the names of
4: the teams and just say division matchup,
0: six and a half points, Mm -hmm. I'll take
4: it. And FYI, last year, Dallas had 92 points they scored against them. 51-26, 51-26, that's Ohio State. It's not an NFL score. This isn't the same Eagles defense.
1: This secondary is as good as any secondary in football.
4: Against Minnesota, neither team scored in the second half. Philly against Washington, they got beat 8 to nothing in the second half. Mm-hmm. They beat Jacksonville 9-7 in the second half. And in the second half, Arizona beat them 7-6. to six. Mm-hmm. You know, this game has got under screaming all over it.
1: If anybody wants to bet on a player... To have a breakout game, look for A.J. Brown to have close to 100 yards in this game and a touchdown. I think this is his breakout game. I think Jalen Hurts will get the ball to A.J. Brown. He's a deep type of player. He's a rough type of player. And I think the Cowboys are going to have problems stopping him in the open field. We haven't seen it yet this year. This is the game we're going to see A.J. Brown have close to 100 yards and a touchdown, maybe even two touchdowns. I think he's very dangerous in this game. We really appreciate you. As always, you guys know your stuff. And guys, all you betting fans, you handicappers, if you haven't listened to this segment, they're over 83%. These guys are the best handicappers in the country. If
4: they're smart people, they would listen to us Saturday Saturday morning morning and Saturday night. Then they would get winners on Saturday and on Sunday. Wes is a very prestigious Position, so he's not getting up at five in the morning and blowing a bong head, okay? But <laughs> I am, and that's why we call it Wake and Bake, and it's on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Yes. Eight o'clock in the morning on Saturdays if you live in San Diego. Eleven o'clock in New York. If
1: you guys are betting people and you want to make money, you want to add to your four hundred one k, you got to listen to these guys as always. Thanks, guys. We really appreciate you guys. We'll be listening to Wake and Bake, and we'll have you guys on next week as always. Always be Ladies cashing. Be that was Wes and Chaz's best segment when it comes to betting. I'm sorry, Eric. I'm not throwing you under the bus. I love the betting exchange. You're fun to listen to. You have a lot of personalities over there, especially ex-NFL players. But if you guys want to listen to the best handicappers in the country, listen to this segment. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? We got some NHL talk and some crunch time here. On the weekend crunch, we are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the weekend crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9 The LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine of the World, Wild Sports Radio Network. Remember you can check out our app on iOS, search us on Apple, and search WWSRN or Android such us in the Play Store, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Just for all the fans to know, if they want to meet me and Speedy on Sunday morning, you can check us out in Northport. He will be on the football field doing the play by play for $4.95. Come and listen to the craziness that we have on the mics and meet us in person. You can come and check us out in East Northport. Anyways, before we get into crunch time, I do want to get into a little hockey. And I, I will say this about. All you Ranger fans, you should be very excited for this season. I know it's early in the season, and teams still have to figure things out. They have a very short preseason. The Rangers are so very explosive. That first line with Panarin, Zabitajad, Kreider. That line is going to be fun to watch. Zabitajad had a chance to have a hat trick in game number one. This team is going to be very explosive all season long. I'm not going to say anything bad about your goalie. Their young goaltender and superstar goaltender Shosturkin is having a fantastic early season. And I expect him to continue to play as well as he did last year and be one of the top goaltenders in the NHL. So, everything so far that we have seen with the Rangers, I know they're 2-1 and one, uh, in the first three games. They lost against Winnipeg last night. They look really, really good, so you should be very excited. Uh, with the New York Rangers' play, Speedy.
2: Yeah, you mentioned Igor, especially uh, against Tampa, against Minnesota. Two good offenses so far, playing very well in both of those games, too. And I think the young defensive players have been very impressive, too. Braden Schneider, Zach Jones, and Keandre Miller have all gotten off to strong starts this season, and I think that's very impressive to see. Offensively, Capo Kaku has played a lot with Mika Zibanejad and Chris Kreider so far in that first game against Tampa, and he looked very good when it came to spacing, handling the puck, too. He scored a goal against Minnesota as well, so... I think that's a good adjustment to be able to balance out those lines, too. where Panarin doesn't have to play with those guys all the time, either. And if you could balance out the line where they're three deep, that's going to definitely help. We, a lot of the controversy was made of, should they break up the kids' line because of how well they played in the playoffs? Well, Capo and Alexi Lafreniere are both going to get their chances to look better statistically playing with those guys, too. So there's going to be benefits long-term that Gerard Gallant can experiment with. And so far, so good for the, this Ranger team. That looks really good offensively so oh, far. Really good. Getting a lot of shots Splos- on goal. And the spacing, the passing has just been really well. Crisp. And they're getting a lot of good high-quality scoring chances, too. Even if they miss the extra pass, they don't score on the extra pass, they're getting good chances right in front of the net. You're
1: going safe. to see a lot of goal scoring for the Rangers this year. They're going to be one of the high-profiled offenses in the NHL. I still worry about their defense. As as good as some of these young players you have mentioned, Speedy, and, and, and they have one of the best young defensive players in the NHL and Fox – I still worry about this defense uh, as the season progressively moves forward. And these teams like Tampa and and Minnesota that they played early actually figure things out. It takes a while for these teams to figure things out. I think you should be excited. As far as the Islanders are concerned, they have a new coach maneuvering the lines. It's completely different lines right now. You have Paul Mary playing with Barzell right now. And I don't know what's going to happen with a new coach like like Lambert. I do believe by watching the Islanders the last two games, including tonight, they're going to shoot more, and they're going to try to provide more offense in the offensive side of the ice. Concentrate on the defensive side of the puck and really help out the goaltending. I believe the Islanders are going to be a lot better than they were last year. I think Mm -hmm. they're going to compete. A lot more home games in the first month of the season than they did last year, which was none. COVID's not going to be a factor this year, so I, I believe the Islanders will be competitive and they will be able to compete against the top teams in the NHL, especially in the metropolitan division where I think they could surprise a lot of people. They're very talented and they're one of the more top defensive teams in the NHL. Right. You mentioned the shot attempts total, the shot
2: volume that I think the Islanders have been too passive with under Barry Trotz in years past. Now, obviously Barry Trotz is a great coach. I'm not criticizing that, but when it comes to their system had a lot more in terms of taking good shots or making the extra passes to possess the puck, which a lot of hockey analytics do that now anyway, but the Islanders are passing up a lot of quality chances. We looked, we talked about it last year with Barzal being sometimes too passive to shoot, which we've seen with the Rangers' young players too, and sometimes passing up good shots in order to do that. And the other thing that's going to have to get better for the Islanders is overall team speed. So mm-hmm. the, the young players are going to have to be the key for that, especially somebody like Oliver Wallstrom.
1: Who's well, hurt right
2: now. Yeah, and some of the prospects that could come up for them that have been very impressive for the Islanders mm-hmm. in the preseason and they're very impressive for the Islanders. And junior leagues, those are the guys that are going to have to get the overall team speed up because guys like Kyle Palmieri, Pajot, guys like that are a little older, don't don't have the same presence of the team speed. It didn't work for them last year in what is a faster NHL. Now the Islanders are not going to be a regular season powerhouse, but if they no. do get into the postseason, scary. they're still going to be a tough out they're because to be of that. And I see they're kind of as a wildcard team right now. I don't I don't know if they're ready to be able to compete in the top tier of the Metropolitan, but tough, I playoff, tough playoff identity, though. Uh,
1: right now, I think they're a wild card team for what I've seen, but I think they could be a lot better. Uh, remember, last year, they were the favorites of winning the Stanley Cup with practically the same type of team they have this year. They're not much better than they were last year. They added Romanoff, but nevertheless, they might even be better defensively than they were last year. So, I don't understand why anybody thinks they can't be in a top-tier teams uh, amongst the top-tier teams this year, being that they have the same team coming back from last year when they were the favorites of winning the whole thing last year. I think this team could absolutely compete as a top team in the NHL. Do I think they will? Probably not. But we'll see how this team starts to grow and and believe in each other. I I, I still think that this team is going to be a lot more high-flying and more offensively sound this year uh, with Lambert than they did with Barry Trott.
2: It is time for Crunch Time!
0: It's time for Crunch Time! All right,
2: we'll start with the Yankees. Buy or sell. They will finish off their series against the Guardians in Cleveland.
1: I'm going to sell that. I think that the Yankees series is going to go to game number five. It'll go back to New York, and the Yankees will pull off a win in New York. I can't see Cleveland losing both those games at home. I think the Yankees will win one of them. I think it'll ta- they'll take it to a game five, and the Yankees will win in New York.
2: Yeah, I'm going to sell it, too. I think they're going to win game three. I like Tristan McKenzie a lot. Game four is where it gets iffy for that rotation. Aaron Savale or Zach Plesak, one of those guys that have both struggled this year. Unless they try to rush Bieber back on a short rest, but I don't see them doing that kind of thing. I don't think Terry Francona would do that. I think the Guardians take a 2-1 lead, and then the Yankees win game four and game five after that. So I am going to sell it as well. All right, buy or sell. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, as well as Justin Jefferson, Look, six-plus catches.
1: I'm going to sell it. I don't trust Thompson. The third-string quarterback again, I still don't believe, even with a full week of playing with this first-team offense, that they're going to pull away and, and be able to do that offensively. So I'm going to sell that.
2: I'm going to buy it. I'm, they're not going to get a lot of yards, but I think shorter catches they're going to be able to make it work. They're going to make yards after the catch. Vikings secondary is not great and a lot of older players, so I think they could take advantage of their speed in that regard. I think they were trying to go too deep against the Jets last week, and I think it backfired. I think Mike McDaniel a smart coach and will change that kind of game plan. So I think they'll get him involved volume-wise and yards after the catch. So I'm actually going to buy that one, surprisingly. Both the Rangers and the Islanders make the playoffs this season.
1: I buy it. I think both teams will make the playoffs. I think the Islanders are a wildcard team as of right now, and the Rangers are a top two team, so I'm going to buy it. I'm
2: going to buy it as well. I have the I have the Islanders as the first wild card team. Ironically, I have them actually play against the Leafs in the playoffs, and I think they'll beat the Leafs in the playoffs based on my predictions. And the Rangers I have as the second seed in the Metro, so I'm going to buy that as well. Edwin Diaz will become the highest paid closer.
1: They have one owner there, and that's Stevie. Uncle Stevie, will he be the highest paid closer in Major League history? You Damn right he will be because Uncle Stevie will sell him and buy it. So I'm buying it.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, I'm buying it, too. I think I think Edwin Diaz will make that work. I think it'll see be in the, in the $18, $19 million range, like Matt Musico was mentioning, too. Even if the years are not as long as what Aroldis Chapman got, maybe it's a three- or four-year deal because of the way closer trends have been. But I definitely see Uncle Stevie giving that in a heartbeat, so I am going to buy it as well. Both the Knicks and the
1: Nets will be at least playing teams this year. I'm going to sell it. I don't know what the Knicks are. And Brooklyn needs, needs to prove to me that these three players can play with one another. If they can't, they're both going to debacle their organizations this year. So I'm gonna sell it. I'm gonna buy that one just because I think the Nets' debacle still will get them just with the talent good enough to be a playing team.
2: I don't trust them to be. You a, said both, and I think the Knicks will be too. I think the Knicks are lower 11th last year. They were the first team out. I don't. I think Jalen Brunson and a little bit better of a defense should be able to hope to get that. I think Todd Thibodeau learn from the mistakes. I don't think either of them are great. I don't know if they'll win those playing games, but I think they both. Make it. I, I will buy that one. Both Lamar Jackson and Saquon Barkley will have seventy plus yards rushing in their matchup. I
1: buy it. I think both players are going to be able to do it. Lamar Jackson's definitely going to run a ball, run the ball against his defense. And Saquon Barkley, he is the Giants' offense, so I'm going to buy it.
2: Uh, I'm going to sell that one. I like the Ravens' run defense a lot, especially on in the interior. The Giants' interior offensive line has really had trouble, and I think that blitz package. Link Martindale will be able to know what to do with Lamar Jackson. I think Lamar Jackson's arm will win the game for the Ravens more than it will his rushing ability in this game. I think they're both under 70 in this game. I am going to sell that one. The Mets will be able to keep both Jacob DeGrom, Edwin Diaz, and Brandon Nimmo.
1: I'm going to buy it. I think Bassett is gone. I think they're going to be looking at other pitchers uh, that they could bring in for less of the price, so I think they believe in Brandon Nimmo as their future center fielder. I know they like Jacob DeGrom. Diaz, definitely. Best closer in baseball. Second best closer in baseball, so I'm going to buy it. I'm going
2: to sell that one. I think either one of Nimmo or DeGrom will be gone because Nimmo's a Boris client. I think this is a big contract that Nimmo might not get anywhere else, and if they keep DeGrom, he's definitely going to ask for something hefty, even if it's not years-wise, so I'm going to sell. I don't think they'll be able to keep all three. I think they'll keep two, and then they'll keep one of their other uh, starting rotation guys, and they'll try to sign other relievers to make it work. All right, last one.
1: Both Aaron Jones and Brees Hall will have 100 plus scrimmage yards. I'm going to sell it. I think Brees Hall will. I don't believe Aaron Jones will. I think the Jets will figure out a way to stop Aaron Jones because they know they're going to run their offense through Aaron Jones because they have two of the better corners in the league, and I think they're going to be able to stop their throwing game, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going
2: to disagree again. I'm going to buy this one. I like Aaron Jones and Brees Hall as receiving backs in this one. Now, the Packers do have good, with Devondre Campbell, a coverage linebacker, but their safeties haven't played as well this year, and I think they could decoy Brees Hall away from that if necessary. Also, Michael Carter on the field at the same time could be an interesting matchup to watch, and I think Aaron Jones, that's the best way for Aaron Rodgers to be able to decoy away from those corners to make it work. The Jets they do have Kwon Alexander who can cover nicely, but C.J. Mosley not as fast as he used to be either. And I don't know if you could trust either of those safeties. So I think they both get the scrimmage. I think Reese Hall gets more
1: rushing yards. Aaron Jones gets more receiving yards, but they both get 100. I'll buy it. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is crunch time. I hope everybody enjoyed the show tonight. A long, long day. For all you Islander fans, all you Yankee fans, I hope you're excited. I'm hoping the Yankees go all the way this year. I want to see number 28. It's just so frustrating watching the Yankees. They they go into these spurts where they score, they have no problems hitting home runs and jacking home runs, and then... Uh, They go into these spurts where they can't even hit for five or six innings. Hopefully the Yankees can move forward and they play in the American League Championship, Houston Astros, and we'll see who the better team is in the American League. That's what you want to see. As far as the Islanders and the Rangers, uh, you should be very excited for the season. I think both teams are going to be fun to watch, Jets and the Giants. Stay tuned for that. Maybe the Giants are 5-1 by the end of this week, and the Jets could be— Four and two for the first time in a very long time. Just so much to talk about with New York sports. There's a lot to cheer about. And now basketball coming back this week. And you have the Knicks. You have the Nets. And, oh, man, this is the best time of year for sports. Thank you to Matt Musico, uh, as always, Elite Sports New York writer and editor. He's fantastic. Definitely check him out uh, if you're a Mets fan. Thank you to Moneyline Mania, Chaz, and Wes for doing what you do best, and giving us winners. Thank you to all the fans that listen to us. If you guys want to come check us out in East Northport in the middle school on Sunday morning, me and Speedy will be doing the play-by-play. We'll take pictures, hang out with you guys, whatever you want to talk about in sports. We'll be down there. Come and check us out. 495 uh, football games down in East Northport and in the middle school. So definitely check us out. We'll be back next week. Stay tuned. Good night, everybody.